0: Good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, whatever the case may be around this rotating globe. Welcome to another live edition on this Saturday, January 21st. Gosh, can you realize we're at the end of the first month of the new year already? Where has the time gone? First of all, I want to kind of apologize to our listeners uh, for last weekend. It devolved into a series of... Climactic and electrical catastrophes. Uh, I I live in the most gorgeous environment you can imagine, the land of enchantment. The only problem is because we have spent nothing as a nation on infrastructure for decades and decades and decades. It's kind of like living in a third world country. And when little things happen, like huge storms in California and the weather currents and the jet stream carries the weather From California eastward eventually reaching the land of enchantment doesn't take much I mean I'm it's over 6,000 feet over a mile up it's it's higher than Denver but it forms ice and ice killed us on Saturday and that killed the power for uh, hours and hours and hours and hours and of course without electricity there's no power down here in the studio and it got so cold That there was no way to get it warm enough to do the live show on Sunday night. So the reason I explain all this is because we need funding. That is why we have at the top of the homepage an extraordinary opportunity, which is this astonishing painting by Alan Bean signed by 24 historical figures out of NASA's legendary history. Mercury astronauts, Gemini astronauts, Apollo astronauts, shuttle astronauts, and uh, we're offering it to the highest uh, donation to the Enterprise mission and the other side of midnight. And it's because without funding, we cannot do a huge range of things that we have on the books for 2023. And we're going to be going into some of the details of the things that we would like to accomplish in 23 on tomorrow night's show, which is part two of things to come in 2023. And then next Monday, uh, Monday, no, not Monday. I'm not on Monday. Next Sunday night, the 29th of January, following the rescheduling of Russell Targ for the 28th on the 29th. We're going to do a whole show devoted to why the hell should we care? That we have now had a stunning breakthrough in discerning lunar structures on the moon this extraordinarily elusive architecture made of glass and given that we've now figured out how to make it blatantly visible and we're going to pass that on to the nine civilian artists that elon musk is going to take Within the next few months, be it in 2023 or sometime in 2024, to the moon, in a looping orbit around the moon, uh, spending, I don't know how much time they're going to spend there, probably at least a day, like uh, Apollo 8 back in 1968 before they come back home. All of those artists, by the time they get to the moon, because of this research, they will be equipped with the means of... Seeing and photographing for eternity, for history, for the archives, for the ages, what is waiting for humankind on the moon. And it's going to be incredible that this will be revealed by nine civilian artists in a variety of art forms, including the fine arts, photography, painting, that kind of thing. And it's going to be they who open the door to an astonishing future for all of the human race, for humanity. And it's all going to take place with your help because there's nobody else on the runway but us doing this. Nobody, 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 nobody. And if I go through some of tonight's news items, you're going to see why the burden is on us and by metonymy on you you who support this show. So there's a variety of ways you can help, not the least of which is if you simply uh, give a donation, a significant donation to the Enterprise Mission, and the other side of midnight, and the highest donations will ultimately wind up the owners of this extraordinary piece of history, which, as I said in our opening show on this subject a couple, three weeks ago, Once it is acknowledged that Alan Bean, Apollo 12 lunar module pilot, uh, was painting the real, extraordinary Monet Moon, his work is going to appreciate at such a rate that it will leave even the hedge funds managers kind of dizzy, because the world is going to want to make a hero Out of Alan Bean for breaking the barrier of censorship, of denial, the deep state keeping us all in darkness when there's a stunning future which could be born as early as toward the end of this year. And we will go into much more detail tomorrow night, as I said, a week from tomorrow night. Tonight, we're going to be talking about one of the ancillary aspects of this revolution which is an artifact that frankly from what i know of it i think it was done maybe by someone trying to leave a dimensional message for humankind and we're going to kick that around with none other than the current guardian of the mitchell hedges crystal skull we're going to talk about its rather turbulent and controversial history We're going to talk about who was Frank Mitchell Hedges and who was Anna Mitchell Hedges and what was the story there and how did the skull now wind up in uh, my prime guest's possession. And uh, that's, that's an extraordinary tale in and of itself, but that's only a prelude to discussing the technology. And I use that in a very broad sense because there is such a thing as conscious technology which has to do with humans, spirit, ETs, spirit, non-physical transfer of information, other dimensional realities, where we are part-time occupants, etc. All all of this opens up per this discussion tonight. But before we get there, what I'd like to do is to go through a couple of items which uh, you need to know about in terms of things that are about to happen. As you may know, uh, and for those of you who are new to the show, what you want to do is go to theothersideofmidnight.com. That is our URL, theothersideofmidnight.com. Click on that. And at the very top, well, you scroll down a little bit, there is a brilliant banner, which can be a uh, help design, called the New Torsion Field Revelations from the Crystal Skull. And that is an actual taken by my other guest tonight, Michael Hall, um, who is Hill. I'm sorry, who is going to be kind of riding shotgun on tonight's conversation because he has had direct personal experience with the Mitchell Hedges skull, and thereby hangs a tale, as we will get into as the morning progresses. So, if you go to that banner, click on that banner, that will take you from the home page to the guest page. And right under it, you will see Fast Links to Items and Fast Links to Bios. Click on my name in Fast Links to Items. That will take you to my section of this guest page, which we call Radio with Pictures. And item number one. Now, a few weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, the Russian crewmen on the International Space Station were about to do a spacewalk. When someone uh, looked out the window, I mean, not really literally, they were looking at uh, uh, live feeds from the multiplicity of very good television cameras that are scattered all over the outside of the ISIS space station. And they noticed something very bizarre happening. The Soyuz spacecraft, M-22, is its name uh, that the Russians have given it in terms of the sequence of visits to and from the space station by Russian Soyuz spacecraft. M22, which is parked uh, at an airlock uh, to function as the uh, transportation for the crew's home uh, and emergency transportation in case the station has to be evacuated through some extraordinary, um, uh, you know, catastrophe that would require them to basically leave. Abandon the station and get back to Earth as quickly as possible. Um, something happened to their ride, and if you look at the video, which is uh, been all over the, the uh, Internet, you can see something spewing into space like an artificial snowstorm. Well, it turned out that something had drilled a hole, uh, probably a high-velocity meteor meteorite had drilled a hole in the spacecraft just where one of the coolant loops comes close to the surface of the hull, of the skin. And it made a hole in in the pipe, and all the coolant leaked out. So NASA has been looking, and the Russians, of course, have been looking at alternatives to provide a backup lifeboat situation in case the crew, all the astronauts on board have to evacuate, and get down to Earth in a hurry because the station is, for whatever reason, uninhabitable. And it turns out now that they are actually uh, looking at a scenario uh, where in, in, un, until the replacement spacecraft, Soyuz uh, M-23, which will be launched next month, February, I think around the 20th, uh, gets to the station and can be parked as the you know spare lifeboat. Um, They can only take two crewmen down to the surface of the planet in the current M22 Soyuz spacecraft because three people will overload the remaining coolant system and would potentially lead to catastrophic failures of equipment on board. As you know, computers do not like heat. You know, that's why you have to keep all your equipment, you know, the fans and the screens or whatever on your uh, uh, desktop and on your laptops clean at all times because heat builds up in computers. It's inevitable. And when they get too hot, they turn off. Well, you can well imagine computers guiding the spacecraft to a landing and suddenly because they get too hot, they turn off. That is not good. So what the plan has been is there is also a SpaceX Dragon spacecraft uh, docked to the space station and they have moved one of the seats from the Soyuz over to the Dragon and in the event of a lifeboat emergency they would send some of the crew home I think five people in the Dragon and two people in the Soyuz um, up until the new Soyuz arrives in which case they will go back to the regular plan which is four and one and three in the other that all is in an item number one if you want to read the details and you like to know how uh, the russians and the americans are cooperating exquisitely well despite the war in ukraine over keeping astronauts and cosmonauts safe in earth orbit the way things should be progressing down here on earth and are not hint hint uh you can read that story Item number two. In the last few days, the second of the now congressionally mandated annual public reports on unidentified aerial phenomenon, known earlier as UFOs, being conducted by the U.S. government in all its multiplicity of branches, headquartered in an office in the Pentagon, uh, came to be published. And there's been a lot of interesting reaction. Uh, worldwide as to what it contains and what it does not contain. The thing, one of the interesting things that it contains is in the year since the last report, which was, uh, you know, about uh, uh, last summer, I think was the first report, and this is number two, Um, six months, give or take, something like 350 to 360 new unexplained UAP sightings has been reported to this new uh, Pentagon office devoted to trying to get to the bottom of the UAP UFO phenomenon. Well, that's the good news. The bad news is in item number three, uh, one of my uh, colleagues and a frequent correspondent, uh, and I'm kind of looking at when we might have him on the show. His name is Richard Sheck. He has been a longtime um, investigator into the UFO Mysteries, as well as delving deep into the politics of uh, cover-up and deep state lies and all the prevarications around the field that have, you know, beguiled us for decade after decade after decade, since, uh, certainly since Roswell. He has a column, which I reproduce, item number three, and let me just kind of read to you uh, a couple of things that he says because it's very telling in terms of the politics of how the current disclosure process is unfolding. And this was written around the 13th of January, uh, right around the time that the, uh, latest uh, office of, uh, uh, the director of, of, of intelligence report was issued to Congress. And, uh, uh, Rich Sheck says the following, quote, reports are starting to emerge from potential UFO whistleblowers that are receiving what amounts to a cold shoulder from the same politicians who previously expressed support for greater transparency regarding disclosure of the UFO phenomenon. He goes on, I recently received an email from a very well-connected source that indicated there appears to be a reversal of the enthusiasm from politicians that was on display last year during the hearings held by Congress in May of 2022. Some of those who want to testify are now, quote, extremely hesitant about approaching the congressional oversight committees because they don't see any public statements from any of the politicians supporting previously greater transparency check goes on in my recent article summarizing the 2023 ndaa i gave a positive spin to what many enthusiasts in the ufo community saw as the high likelihood for ending the truth embargo because of the bold language in the new legislation i was inspired by the spirit of openness embedded in the new law's broad requirements for transparency, as well as the optimist, optimistic pronouncements from insiders like John Ramirez, Gary Nolan, and Chris Mellon, whose sincerity in predicting whistleblower revelations I chose not to question, now comes this respected journalist to confirm my intuition. Says Shack, that caution is once again appropriate, and that frequent assertions. By the likes of Nolan, Steve Bassett, and others, and by that he means me too, that disclosure is imminent, is wishful thinking at best, and another disinformation sigh up at worst. And uh, he goes on, so you can read all that in item number number three. This is why this is important. This is why, and I'm going to be very brief on this, and we'll get into it in more detail tomorrow night. And in great detail, next Sunday night on the 29th, when we talk about our astonishing technological and political breakthrough vis-a-vis the structures on the moon, this is why, for the last several decades, I have basically ignored the UFO phenomenon and focused almost exclusively on artifacts. UFOs and those who purvey them can lie. Artifacts stand still. You can do archaeology. You can do forensics. You can do real science. All you have to do is get the data and analyze it and then make that data public in appropriate forums and we're, as my uh, grandmother would have said, off to the races. I'm not surprised by the current turn of events. Um, I did not pick, by the way, that graphic. Uh, showing the UFO with the green ray over the Capitol, kind of by accident, because tomorrow night, among other things we're going to touch on in terms of what could happen in 2023 in this arena, I'm going to bring up the idea that if there has been a long-term cover-up of what's going on in terms of extraterrestrials volleying around the solar system, visiting Earth whenever they want to, and maintaining some kind of secrecy about all of that. It may not, in fact, ultimately turn out that the cover-up has been, shall we say, coordinated by humankind, by the so-called terrestrial deep state of unified states operating in conjunction around the world despite conventional assessments of current geopolitics. In fact, if the cover-up originates where I think it might have originated decades ago, we need to look at the UFO occupants and the extraterrestrials themselves as chance the originators of the cover-up from the get-go, from the beginning, for more than 70 plus years, and again. There is an answer if that's, in fact, what's going on. And the answer lies more on that tomorrow night and a lot more next Sunday night when we do this extraordinary program on the breakthrough that we've had vis-a-vis the structures on the moon that I'm going to give everybody the keys to the kingdom and how you yourself can be a part of this extraordinary adventure. My final item tonight, number four. There is a brilliant comet, at least it's brilliant in the news. It's not very bright visually. It's barely uh, naked eye visible in the uh, uh, northern skies. But if you want to know how you can go out, certainly and see it with binoculars or a telescope. And it's not going to approach us closest until another uh, week or so has gone by. Um, Let's see, 30 days has September, April, June, and November. So on next Tuesday, Tuesday night, or Tuesday morning, pre-dawn, you'll have your best shot at looking at this thing because it will be closest, something like a little over 20 million miles away, if memory serves. Item number four is a very deep dive into what it is, when it was first spotted, what its name is, its coordinates how to see it. There's a beautiful photograph showing uh, this extraordinarily long uh, ion tail. Uh, Most comets have dust tails and a separate ion tail, and they're not superimposed on each other because they're made of very different stuff. And you can learn about that by going to that link. If you want to really go out and see this for yourself, and I would recommend every opportunity in this uh, age when everybody looks at screens and, Nobody experiences anything for real by going out and looking. Um, I'm going to be going out and looking. I'm fortunate to live in a very dark place where I have a stunning view of the Northern sky. And at the moment, I think it's in a constellation called Como Bernice's hair, which is a constellation in the Northern hemisphere near the North Pole, North celestial pole. So have at it. And, uh, you might send us uh, reports through our contact info, which is on the upper left-hand side of the screen if you're tuned into the page on a computer. I'm not quite sure where it is on a smartphone, but you can find it. It says contact us. And, you know, at the bottom of every show, there is a comment section, so you can send us information there as well. What does it look like? What does it do to you? How does it make you feel that we're on the edge of such extraordinary disclosures provided we can get the rather messy terrestrial politics of intervention and uh, secrecy and cover up kind of out of the way once and for all. Again, a lot more discussion on this tomorrow night and next Sunday night. So tonight, let us shift our focus now to my, uh, Uh, prime guest of the evening, whose name is Bill Holman. And Bill is uh, kind of a a one-of-a-kind. He has had a long association with the owner of the crystal uh, skull, the Mitchell Hedges crystal skull. And we're going to talk to him about that. He has a remarkable background in the Air Force and in martial arts that uh, has kind of prepared him to be the ultimate caretaker or guardian. To ensure the safety of the Mitchell Hedges skull, which as far as I know, there are a lot of skulls now that have been, you know, found over the last several decades, but the Mitchell Hedges skull is unique. It's the probably the only one or one of two or three that I know that has been subjected to actual forensic scientific analysis by a major uh, corporation um, in Palo Alto, California. And I'm sure Bill will talk about that. And uh, we're going to have an extraordinary conversation. We're also going to be joined tonight by a friend and colleague of Bill, which is how I got to him, um, Michael Hill. Michael, as you know, is a uh, uh, Native American shaman. He is an award-winning musician, a filmographer. He is a UFO experiencer who has created a technology, a hyper dimensional technology which he will describe which we were able to get one of my friends and colleagues dr beverly rubik by the way michael beverly is not associated with nasa she's had nasa contracts but she's not a nasa scientist so you need to stop you know printing that that's not accurate she is an independent scientific investigator uh who has worked in alternative healing technologies and uh things like uh, uh water uh, or whatever for many decades. I knew her back when I lived in Berkeley and we recontacted over the last few years. And she, at my request, ran some extraordinary tests on Michael's torsion field technology. And it turned out to uh, be a really red letter day because she was able to measure verifiably with scientific instrumentation and reproducible results Uh, The fact that whatever Michael's doing with his technology, it works. And I'm going to talk about uh, some personal experience I've had with exposing water and other fluids to this technology. And I can tell you over the last year or so that in my own personal experience, it's working. And that's no mean feat in a world full of disinformation and false leads and blind and outright shysters and liars and uh, grifters to be able to say and to stand behind. And uh, uh, Michael and I are going to have a really interesting conversation about, uh, again, a technology which, frankly, um, to Michael, came from sources that are not exactly here. Uh, with that is as a kind of a background, uh, I want to do something different tonight because As you may or may not know, uh, David Crosby, uh, the uh, lead uh, singer and composer and genius of Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, and another group called The Birds, um, he died in the last uh, couple, three days at the uh, relatively young age of these days of 81. So tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to play some Crosby uh, music as part of our bumpers because there's no better way to remember a genius who affected our culture and our age and everyone than David Crosby. David, rest in peace. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. When we come back, Bill Holman and the mysteries and magic of the crystal skull.
1: The sky is clearing and the night is The sun are the world to joy. Be joy, we have some joy.
2: The other side of midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hodland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device.
1: Trains through glimmer up the sky And to chicken wall to wall I know it's a major on Speaking of fresh on the edges of my mind and to get away see what we could find Hope save a smile ahead Bring us back to where we left Listen to what they said you and
0: welcome back everyone on this Saturday night on the 21st of January 2023. Yes, David Crosby. Gosh, what a, what a, what a genius! What a talent! What what extraordinary as they used to say tonalities. We're going to hear a lot of his music as we go through the evening. But right now, what I want to do is introduce my uh, first guest of the evening, um, Michael Holman. Well, let's see. Um, I kind of gave you a thumbnail sketch before. Why don't we just open the line here? And uh, Bill, uh, welcome to uh, the other side of midnight. And what did I say, Michael Holman? I meant Bill Holman. <laughs> oh, <okay. Yeah. laughs> Sorry about that. Oh.
3: Oh, no problem. Uh, yeah,
4: See, but, Michael's doing
0: his mind thing off stage here. It's, it's obviously, <laughs> that, you know, he's doing this voodoo thing. Uh, you, you didn't leave him with a skull, did you? Uh,
4: no, it's right here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start at the beginning. Um, what radio audiences want to know when they're encountering something, and there's a whole new audience that really probably knows a little, very little, if anything, about the extraordinary background of, Of these crystal skulls particularly the mitchell hedges um let's start back with your background how did you get interested in all this off the edge of the paper stuff and how did you wind up meeting uh annal mitchell hedges how did you wind up becoming her confidant and friend for all those years and then ultimately taking care of her in the last eight years of her life Because that's got to be a, it's got to be a book all by itself.
4: Well, it's, uh, being around the skull, it's, it's never dull. I'll tell you that. And, uh, keeps life very, very interesting. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, how do I got into this? It's just that, you know, I believe in soul and past lives and all that. And I, I feel that my connection, I've always had a great love for adventure and, uh, I uh, heard about first F.A. Mitchell Hedges when I was down in Panama in the service and this lady that was an English lady that owned this little hotel restaurant right on a little island called Toboga and she would tell stories about Mitchell Hedges coming in and parking his boat uh, right in the bay and then coming in for supplies and stuff and about his uh, he was a great fisherman he loved to fish and has some of the world records that have never been broken as of today even but uh so that first time i heard about mitchell hedges and then there's another time where i was in in uh by the panama canal and there's a place there and they had pictures on the wall and one was a picture of fa where they, he was called into the panama canal because the panama canal had been blocked for three weeks and they couldn't get any ships in or out and what it was there was this huge uh octopus that had blocked the whole thing oh my and, gosh huh. yeah had the whole uh way blocked so they couldn't even get anything out or through or anything so he was called and he went out there and harpooned it and they finally were able to cut it up and then pull pull it up with tugboats out to sea and open it up but I, that's another so that's just something that stayed in my mind and then at about the same time i read an article and saw a picture of this crystal skull and. Uh, I think it you know, there's, there's a purpose for everything, but it, it really connected with me with something really deep inside. And, uh, I had that until I got out of the service. And then I heard about where Anna was at. She was up in Canada. I was living near Chicago at the time. And so they gave me a number. I just called up there and, uh, there's this nicest lady, you know, really friendly and, Oh, come up and see the skull anytime. And, uh,
0: Oh, well, my hey, gosh!
4: I have to say that twice. So I was up, went up there, and I met with her. And, and her what, what? What? What year was this? That was about nineteen seventy-nine, seventy. Yeah, right. Oh, Eight. so it was quite a while ago. Okay. That was my my first meeting. So I went up there and and met with her. And there's, uh, I mean, uh, if you love adventure, uh, she, I can tell you some stories, and I hope to be able to tell well, you. Well, we got months. three hours. That's why you're here, Bill. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And so, uh, you know, she looks like the sweetest little lady ever met. But uh, as I've learned over the years, I, boy, that's so, one person I would never mess with. She was as nice as can be, but uh, she, was, she was something else.
0: But uh, uh, so. Well, uh, hang on, hang on. Let's, let's stop there because you know, I'm going to kind of skip around. Hedges okay. really was kind of like the prototype for Indiana Jones. And he sure. did everything he was an explorer, archaeologist, soldier of fortune he you know did stock stuff, and other words, but he wound up in nineteen seventeen in Canada, and he for some reason, adopted this young girl, this ten year old girl anna, and
5: right. that's what
0: led to everything else that we're going to talk about tonight so do you did she ever tell you the backstory why a guy who was footloose and fancy free not tied down, not married, you know, all over the world. Why did he encumber himself with a 10-year-old girl, a daughter at that age of his life when he was doing everything you can imagine an adventurer would do? Yeah, well, you know, she was
4: like his great luck.
0: It was a lucky thing to him because when
4: uh, he he took her in and became her father, things started changing in his life too and uh, a lot of uh the adventures that uh that he had uh a lot of things she played into it she was a uh, you know starting with when she was 7 years old uh she had a life of <laughs> that was uh very unusual uh so uh, just I'll throw out a story real quick when she was 7 uh and living in in uh, Canada uh, her her mother's family was over in uh, in France, uh, Brittany, France, and they they were they couldn't find the her grand the grandparents, uh, and they you know they were everybody thought they had, they weren't sure what happened. Well, wait, was she orphaned? Were her parents killed? She was, yeah, she was orphaned. Her father was in in World War One and got gassed, and her mother uh, was. That's how it would happen. He, uh, Mitchell Hedges, would go up there with with friends, and they'd fish all the time. And uh, they uh, got to know because she would, or the the mother would uh, take care of uh, a lot of the stuff that they needed, the supplies and stuff. And they'd be friends, and Anna would uh, get worms for him, so he'd have worms for fishing. So I mean, it was, uh, and she'd always charge him for it too, because she was really. Good with a
3: penny.
0: But, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, so he knew it. of her because of his association and the group association with the the, the mom.
4: Right. Yeah. He was, I guess, a, a good friend uh, with uh, her mom, and uh, and no, had known the family for a lot of years. And so when her mom passed away, there was uh, eleven kids in the family. Oh my. And different kids went to the different relatives and the only one there's two, two of the kids didn't have a place to go. So uh, the two gentlemen that were with Mitchell Hedges said, well, Hey, Mike, why don't you take her and, uh, and raise her? And uh, somehow that happened and uh, he took her back to New York city and he was going to put her in a, a private boarding school. And then he had to go down on a, trip to Central America on one of his expeditions, or starting one, and she would, uh, was so upset about it, he decided finally to take her with him. So he took her down to, uh, to it was now Belize, which was uh, British Honduras at the time. And this was when she
0: was seven?
4: Uh, no, this was when she was, uh, when she was seven, she went to England to uh, help find her grandparents that, are, that were lost. Uh, couldn't find nobody could find them and I'm I'm jumping around in stories but it's a good story if you want to see how okay uh, as she was going across the sea in the boat she came up to one of the seamen and pulled on his his, uh, pants and said there's a stick in the water and that that was the first u-boat that was ever spotted
0: oh my the periscope
4: and so she was the one that spotted the first. uh not the uh well the german submarine yeah this was early german world war one right and so from there she went and stayed with uh some relatives and she would watch them they'd always go down to the barn at night take stuff in there and then they'd come back and so she snuck down when they left and went in there and she found her her grandparents uh in a room back there locked up so she ran to the road. There was they, she heard somebody coming, and she jumped in the bushes. And then she had to run like three miles up the up the road to that she got to the family. And when she got a hold out there, they all came back and rescued the uh, the grandparents. But that was her at seven years old. You know, so she she had a life that started uh, with adventures. Good and-
0: grief! She sounds like she had you know kind of like. Remember when Lou Grant with Mary Tyler Moore said, you've got spunk. Sounds yeah. like she had spunk at seven. Wow. Yeah. So,
4: so that's why, uh, when, uh, she was a quite, you know, she was very unusual, a young child. So, uh, that's why Mitchell Hedges, you know, I am not not sure of the whole thing with the mother and stuff like that either. So, uh,
0: but, uh, I do know that. Well, let me ask you a kind of straight-out question: Is it possible that Hedges really was her father?
4: uh, You know what? There's a possibility on that because you know I've been around different
0: things and heard and different things like that. That is a possibility. And in that era, you would have concealed it and done all this other, you know, kabuki theater thing to conceal the fact that she was born out of wedlock. But it sounds to me like they had such an affinity. That, that's a
4: possibility, you know, but I, you know, I can't say, but,
0: uh, that, that would be a, uh, that'd be something that would make a lot more sense. I would think. Yeah. You wonder why he would tie himself down being this carefree, you know, Indiana Jones type ranging the world, seeing the world, having the time of his life. Why would he tie himself down with a seven year old girl? Unless. Right. So, uh, that's, that's how it started. And, uh, did influence. you ever did you ever ask her that question?
4: Uh you know what? I didn't answer that question. No. Hmm. That would yeah. I I didn't go there, but uh that's just kind of you know things that you think about, you pick up. There's a that's a good possibility because why would she be the only one of the or two of the ch- children that weren't really kind of they were put aside a little bit, you know? And never didn't have a place to go when her mother died, you know. So, but that's, that's how it started with her. And that's how they started their working on this, these different things together. So, you know, I, uh, when I was, uh, let's see in that 79, 80 year period, uh, we have a friend that's a psych great psychic that did this book, the skull speaks. And she was, uh, living, she lives in Toronto area, And she got a call from this gentleman that uh, uh, wanted to know all about F.A. Mitchell Hedges, uh, Anna Mitchell Hedges, and the Crystal Skull. So she told him the whole story, and he wanted to talk to her. So uh, Carol called over there and talked to Anna, and she said, well, I'm leaving the next day for England. I I can't see him. But uh, Carol gave him all the information. This is in
0: 1979.
4: 79, And then... in uh it was about 84 this gentleman came out with a movie uh it's called raiders of the lost ark
0: (laughs) uh, so he did build uh indiana around hedges
4: uh yeah he's hedges was a very interesting gentleman he really you know all the people i met that knew him they were in such awe of him and respect it was so yeah it's uh that is a, that's what's probably happened. Well, he, in the movie, Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull, he mentioned Mitchell Hedges and the Crystal Skull a number of times. Yeah. At, to the skull. So, yeah. Uh, but uh, now uh, I found out a, a letter. uh it was like two years ago now. And it was written from the head of British intellig- uh, Navy Intelligence, to Mitchell Hedges and it was a kind of a coded letter it didn't make much sense but i you know i saved it but on the bottom i had the the, the uh, sign you know they always have to type their
0: initials at the bottom of it and uh and you, out, you, you you got this from his daughter right anna
4: yeah i have i have a bunch of letters and that's one of the letters yeah
0: and so but i
4: hadn't you know i hadn't seen it but i just all of a sudden came across it but, but the interesting part about it is when you uh, found out who was the one that typed it, and it was this gentleman that uh, worked in, uh, in, in England for the British Secret Service, and he, uh, you know, worked with all the communications and different uh, agents in the field. And that, the person that typed it for him was Ian Fleming. You <laughs> oh, my. Now when I do my talks, I say... So did uh,
0: Anna ever meet with Spielberg?
4: Uh, let's see. You know what? Uh, I hear that there's a, there was a little bit of uh thing with the the skull and Spielberg that was a little... I'm not sure what it was. So uh, she never met with them. And uh, that's why there was, they always tried to keep a distance from them, which in the end was really good, because uh, after the movie was out about a year or two later, uh, the police government tried to sue me Spielberg and Lucas and because of the way they did it the lawyers shut it down right away and uh everything turned out good which uh I, I appreciate that a lot so yeah hmm. <laughs> so there's a lot of stuff that happens and I uh, I've run into a lot of uh, interesting experiences with people
0: and shamans and uh
4: different spiritual leaders
0: and and well, really for that connection alone you should be doing a book on this
4: yeah, yeah. well right now i'm a little busy but yeah there's uh there is a lot of things that have been happening that uh could definitely
3: it's
0: it's really if you like adventure we definitely have adventure here yeah so in the 70s late 70s you get out of the air force you got kind of into this mythology of the skull and Mitchell hedgers and all that you take an opportunity to call Anna up. She invites you up. What happened when you met her?
4: Okay. Well, it was her and her secretary and they invited
0: me in and they always give you, and where, and where was she living in, in Toronto at she that time? In,
4: uh, she was in Kitchener, which is about an hour from Toronto. Okay. And so uh, that was, that was my first visit up there. But then I, you know, over the years, I, I would, you know, let's say she was going to do a lecture somewhere. I'd drive up and help her with a lecture and it went all the way to about 89 and her secretary passed away and then she sold her four bedroom house and moved all the stuff to England and bought another one over there. She lived there for oh a year and a half and she sold it and moved it all the way back to uh, Canada. You know, she's all, You know, she's in her late 80s, early 90s when she's doing this and uh then she had a problem there, so she sold that one. And at that time I said, come down to, to Indiana. So we loaded up everything and put it in a big van and drove it down to Indiana. And she stayed there for about three years. And then she decided to go back to Canada. She bought a house and was there for about another couple of years. And then she sold everything and moved to England. Are you keeping up with it <laughs> kind of good kind of kind of grief you know, talk about peripatetic <laughs> and then yeah she moved back to, to Canada and she was real sick back in the late 90s and I said well hey come back to Indiana I'll take care of you and we'll have some adventures and so she decided to do that so we moved her back to Indiana and uh, we definitely have some uh, you know I got her feeling better back to good health and we did some trips to Central and South America, so it was oh my. really at, in their nineties. <laughs> did she
0: ever write a book?
4: Uh, her father was the did was the author, and he wrote a number of books. Uh, he wrote the last one.
0: He had to write an
4: autobiography.
0: But I mean, he <clears> died in <throat> what fifty nine. So did,
4: right.
0: you know, so between fifty nine and when she died at the age of a hundred, right. did she write her own book on? her life, and any, anything about her life? Uh, you know, she was supposed to, but she never got around to it. No,
4: she never did. Yep.
0: Did she leave enough information that you could assemble a book from her papers and documents oh, yeah. and all that?
4: Uh, I could, yes. Yeah.
0: And so uh, uh, that
4: that's a possibility, too. But lately, I've been running around the country so much it's been uh you know it's been hard to really concentrate on something like that but uh uh it's a possibility we you know i'm doing a number of things and i think right now i feel with the skull that it's an important time because uh they the uh, legend is the skull it comes back at a time when the world needs help and i uh, i feel we're at that time now you think yeah <laughs> God. You know, it, and I, you know, I have a connection with it and I've learned the connection and worked with it that it kind of, uh, kind of, uh, I'm, you know, I'm the caretaker, but it's kind of, uh, taking me around the, uh, in all different places. It works in a lot of the high energy spiritual, uh, places of, uh, energy on the planet.
0: And it's very much drawn to that. So, uh. I don't know. Right. That, that. Remember, I come from a museum background. Well, maybe you don't know that. So, you know, uh, in your bio, you have the top caretaker. To me, that's not the right word. Remember, words have meaning. Words have power. You right. know, Mark okay. Twain said the difference between the right word and the almost right word. Remember Mark Twain, writer? Oh, he right. said like- was the difference between the lightning and the lightning bug. So the right word for you is not caretaker, it's guardian,
4: guardian. of the yeah.
0: Mitchell Hedges skull. I
4: I definitely do that.
0: <laughs> well, that goes back to your background, Air Force service. It's you know, guardian. I would I would that would be my recommendation. You are the guardian of the skull. So let's flash back. We've got about uh six minutes till the top of the hour start at the beginning with the skull story she's 17 she doesn't want her father to leave her at a boarding school in what new york state right new york city yeah and she demands basically puts her foot down and says you take me or else and Uh-oh. he takes her to central america
4: right uh, he had a no he he worked with the, the with the Secret Service, and that's one of his problems. He had to take the uh, 1912 Secrecy Act, and he had to sign that, which made a lot of the stuff he did, he couldn't really talk about it. But he was down there looking for a connection between the Maya and Lannis that he felt there was. And he did it at a time when a lot of the, the Nazis were running around looking for these power Artifacts in different art sites Throughout the world And so he heard about this lost city And uh, He went into With an expedition in And was able to find A place they call Lubantun It's a it's a city of They call it the falling stones And it's uh, Was like uh, Seven pyramids, a ball court Spiritual center And this whole area That he Spent uh three or four well it was about four years burning and chopping with the natives to bring that all out of the jungle because it was if you ever went to a an ancient site before it 's opened, you know you wouldn 't even know it you 'd rock right past it because they people... look
0: like tree covered hills
4: yeah, they sure do
0: lots yeah. of tree covered hills. Robin and I drove across Guatemala one night racing to plane after i 'd measured it to t- you know um uh, Cal, I think we were measuring. And as we're driving in this pre-dawn darkness, you could see these mounds on both sides of this little narrow country road. And we're, you know, being driven like about 80 miles an hour down a two-lane narrow, almost cow path. And as in the darkness, you could see these hills. And I knew, and she knew, and we both talked about it, that all of those so-called hills were actually ancient pyramids, so ancient and covered with you know, vegetation, and trees, and vines, and I wanted to stop and do some measurements, and because of the schedule, we had to be at the airport, we couldn't stop, but I know exactly what you're saying. There's so much we don't know about Mesoamerica, because it's just totally covered with jungle.
4: Right, and I, I spent some time in Copan, and that's one of the largest uh, uncovered sites, but if you're out there in the bush and stuff, and if you, I always said if you took a rock and threw it any direction, uh, you would land on something that was that.
0: Yep. That was, if there's that much down there, you know, it's just loaded with it. So yeah. And they're energetic. They reacted to my instrumentation uh, by mm. showing us the field, the torsion field. They're resonant with this hyperdimensional connection, and they're just waiting to be uncovered and rediscovered and put to use. Just wait.
4: Yeah, and, you know, because they are able to be activated now, uh, I think a lot of uh, things can be done uh, even when you're not right around them in working the energy and sending that energy into uh, at least this third uh, dimensional world which then connects to the other ones but yeah, it's it's quite interesting when you when you get around that stuff and it's just like wow there's so much to see and learn for sure
0: there sure is okay we're basically a couple of minutes to the top of the hour so talk about you know he's under this secrecy uh was this under under roosevelt because of his connection to the white house the secret service uh it
4: was it was through uh you know the british secret service oh
0: okay i thought it was
4: Okay. No, he worked with the British Secret Service, yeah. Ah,
0: okay.
4: And Anna was on a number of uh, jobs over there, too, I, <laughs> that she did, that were pretty high-profile uh, stuff, too. You know, here I am jumping around again, but... Uh, You've after- got to write
0: this book. You've got to take all her papers, assemble them, get a good editor. I've got a couple in the back of my mind I might put you in touch with. This sounds like a story that desperately needs to be told and told now. It, um, it, it goes under your under your title of guardian.
4: Guardian, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, hey, I'm, that sounds like an adventure, and I'm I'm always ready for that. So that sounds
0: good. <laughs> Super.
4: That's okay. That you know we are,
0: are we are literally at the top of the hour. Why don't we hold it there? My guest this morning, uh, Michael Hill, is waiting in the wings, very nicely. Um, we're we're talking with Bill Holman who through incredible fortune and maybe destiny, you know, we're kind of supposed to be where we're supposed to be. He wound up being now the guardian of the Mitchell Hedges crystal skull and all that that entails. You're on the other side of midnight. We're doing an homage in our breaks tonight to David Crosby, who left us for um, other adventures a couple three days ago, you shall return. <laughs>
6: Other side of midnight
0: And welcome back, everyone, to the other side of midnight. For this Saturday night, you're in the Land of Enchantment. A chilly Land of Enchantment is going down to 16 outside the studio. Fortunately, I've got two heaters running. You may be able to hear one in the background, and it's, uh, it's 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 livable. Don't want to spend the rest of my life down here tonight, but it's livable. Uh, we're doing an ode uh, to uh, David Crosby, who left us a few days ago at the age of 81. What a genius! What an incredible genius! Such different tonalities, such wonderful memories of you know that music. All the way. All the way. Okay, back to my guest, uh, Bill Holman, who has become the guardian of the Mitchell Hedges Crystal Skull. So why don't we dive right in, talk about the expedition where 17-year-old, I think she was celebrating her birthday, and there is a... Kind of a story lurking around the edges that that because he uh, he really you know loved her so much uh, that that uh, Mitchell Hedges himself kind of planted the skull and that comes from some other writings and controversy around he he never really admitted apart from her story <clears throat> where he found it how it came to him so it's possible that for her birthday he gave her a present of something to find that it was of incredible inestimable value uh what do you think of any of that oh let's see well
4: you know what i have i have the story as anna told me but when you really look at a lot of things you know uh with the things that are happening and the things that happen you know the skull uh come out but less there's a reason for it you know you could You could have one of these special skulls and it'd be right on your doorstep and you'd walk past this rock every day and never think anything of it. But the right and the right person comes along and it's there. So uh, the skull cannot be sold. It can only be gifted. And it is gifted to the person they feels that will do the job that at the time needed to be done to... to whatever is happening in the world. So I, that's one of the reasons I feel that, uh, the, that I was part of that. But uh, uh, as far as Mitchell Hedges, uh, I, you know, he had his story, and he, like you said, he never really said where the skull came from. He said uh, that's something we'll tell later. And Anna said that he did that because it was her story, and he saved it for her to tell but uh, you know, there's there's so much because I'm not, if uh, nobody knows where it came or how it was came here, uh, the story being, as she tells it, it uh, he was uncovered. There was the seven pyramids and the tallest one. It was said that if you went to the top, you could see all the way to the ocean. And the young kids were never allowed on it because there was. The rocks had moved a little bit, and the snakes were in there and stuff, so she was kept off of it. But well, she was everybody...
0: what seventeen this time, right? Uh, no, she was sixteen. Oh, okay. And, and then uh
4: she was sixteen, and then oh, she went to the top of it and looking for the sea, and it was all cloudy, and she couldn't see anything. And then as the as the clouds moved, and the beam of light came down, as the the rocks had moved because of trees growing and and different things, earthquakes in the area. The light went through the stones, and there was a big bright light inside. And so she ran down and told her father about it, and her father put her in big trouble, but he realized there must be something there. So the next morning when she woke up, she he already had the men out there, and they were starting to open it up. And she said that it was opening too fast, and it started to collapse. And so then they started doing one stone at a time and they got a hole big enough for a small person and she was had a rope tied around her and lowered it into this pyramid and the pyramid was closed up for over a thousand years when she went in it according to what she said and she felt something and she put it in her shirt and then when they brought her out uh, and opened it up it's like that the natives it was like their god had returned oh
0: my
2: my
4: and so uh mitchell hedges did at the time present it to the high priest and they put it altar and they burnt fires around it 24 hours a day and people would come from all over people she never saw from the jungle would come to see it and it was there until he had to close the expedition in 27 and they presented it back to Mitchell Hedges because he brought food for the natives he brought always put two doctors down there uh he he paid them well and you know he didn't just take from he gave and they loved him so they felt that he could take care of it and that's where in 1927 until 1959 uh for uh, not all the time because you know, there's a story where uh you'd have to read his book but there was a, a guy that was a young kid that was a bully and he ended up beating him up and they become friends and and uh, when he would go on expeditions later in life, he would give some of his valuables, to silver and stuff, because they didn't have uh, <coughs> excuse me, they didn't have uh, I... like today, you know. And so they would, he would give them that to his friend, and he would watch it for him. And uh, and then uh, what happens? He passed away, and without knowing it, this
0: it, is Mitchell Hedge's friend.
4: <laughs> yeah. Mitchell Hedges. They took the the skull and they put it up for sale in the at Sotheby's. And he heard about it, and
0: was wait, wait minute. Minute. somehow it goes from Frank to his friend to, to take possession."
4: Oh uh, no, the friend didn't take possession, but he was taking care of it when he was out of the country.
0: When so when when it... when Mitchell Hedges was out of the country doing his right. his adventure Indiana Jones thing.
4: Right. <laughs> yep. So uh, this just goes along with the story of how, where'd it go and how it traveled. But uh, that, and so then he went to there and he couldn't get it out because it all... when
0: you say he, we need to use pronouns
4: here. All right. Mitchell Hedges went to the museum, or to the Celebes,
0: and it was already put up for auction. So his friend who had possession, physical possession, when Hedges was out of the country, when the friend died... It was put up for auction at Sotheby's. Not only is
4: not only just the skull, but a lot of his his private uh, possessions that the guy was that he was uh, protecting for him while he was out of the country. Yes.
0: Wow. That sounds and like so, a huge story there. And so then. Uh, sounds so like he, sabotage.
4: Yeah. So he had to bid on his own skull, and then he got it back. And that was I think that was 1944. 544 somewhere in there
0: and uh okay let's 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 go back to the discovery when anna sees this brilliant beam of light go through the holes in the pyramid and down below she sees this flash of reflection and and then she's lowered down the next morning and picks it up puts it in her shirt and that's when they see what it really is okay you can see a picture of it in tonight's banner. It's stunning. It's astonishing. It has such awesome optical properties. It's meticulously human. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's the only one which has a detachable, movable jaw. Am I correct? Yeah, it's anatomically correct and uh, and life size. It's a it's the size of a human skull.
4: Yeah, it's just, they say it's. Uh
0: a like a
4: 20-something female skull is what uh they did when they did
0: the, oh. the testing yeah okay well that gets us to hewlett-packard we'll get to that in a minute i want to i want to underscore that it's unique in that i think it's the only one of all the skulls that have now been put forward that has a movable detachable jaw am i correct
4: uh all the ones that
0: are the old skulls there yeah that's true that is true Okay. And now, when she found it and picked it out of this collapsing masonry inside the pyramid, they didn't find the jaw, the jawbone, right?
4: That's right. Yeah, it was like six weeks later. They were in there and they found it where the rocks had fallen on an eye, on a, uh, altar and, uh, they just, they were, it was, if it would have not fallen just exactly right, it wouldn't have stopped. It would have smashed the jaw. But it was right there. And so they did find the jaw uh, within six weeks after the, Amazing. the.
0: So what happens after that? Trackers from the. Okay.
4: Uh, it, well, then, this is
0: in what? Honduras in 1917.
4: Well, this is British Honduras, which is now Belize. And it was, uh, no, it was 1924. 24. What it was,
0: she found it. 24
4: or 27. Well, uh, 17, she was 17, and it was her, her birthday that she found it, January 1st, 1924. Oh, my. And she passed it on to me on April 11th, 2007, which was my birthday. So she found it. Her back birthday, and she passed it to me on my birthday, which mm. is strange how that happened. But
0: yeah, a lot of strange things. Well, these the- are we call them hyperdimensional resonances. You know, we'll, we'll get into the technology of the skull or the skulls or whatever in a minute. But all right, let's, let's let's carefully track from Honduras, Belize. It makes its way on Hedges, you know, possession back to the state, back to New York, right?
4: Uh, let's see, New York. Well, he went back to England uh, first because he's he's English. He's a, a Brit. Okay. So, and so uh, between America and and Britain, but he's is, he's is British. So it went to Britain, and uh, it was
0: you know he, what he did is he had
4: it till he passed away in 1959.
0: Well, when he, he got had- to Britain, hey, let's try to do this consecutively. with jumping around yep. loses me. Okay. Did he take it to the British Museum, which at he that time the- was the creme de la creme of ancient artifacts, Egypt, Central America, Mayans, all that stuff. Did he take it to the British Museum and say to the experts, here's something bizarre? Uh,
4: let's see. It was taken to the British Museum in, I think it was 1932. Oh, that and, late. Yeah. And it's also, you know, it's got the the pictures of it. And uh and the measurements and everything they did at the time. Well what and did so, he do
0: with it in the in, in the interim? Just kind of hang on to it? Look uh, at but, it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
4: Well let's see, what do I do? I have <laughs> I have adventures. So he he was having adventures too. He's uh, doing his thing, yeah. But uh yeah, he you know, he was Central America and then back to England back in the uh middle thirties. And then, uh after that, the war broke out, and he wasn't able to leave
0: because of the war it's now World war two okay
4: right, and so, after the war, he didn't go back to uh Central America, but he went to Africa, and he was down in Africa at that time, yeah,
0: and the, he had the skull with him down there and now did, about- did did he take Anna with him on all these trips or Did she have to go to school, and he would come and see her and take her on some? In other words, what was how? What if she found it, then he took it around with him and didn't leave it with her, that kind of thing?
4: Well, it was it was not it was in his possession, not hers. Hmm. Since that, yeah. But uh, what did she went to school at the when she was in the at the uh, site of Lubantune with uh, Lady Richard Brown, with teacher. And so uh, that's, that's how she got her schooling. Her schooling was uh, working with the Mayas. Because what would happen is when he would go back in the, in the rainy season, he would leave her down there with a family that he trusted, and he'd go back and, and do lectures and, and uh, sell books and stuff like that, raise money to continue and keep the expedition going. So she pretty much lived there for like six years with the Maya.
0: So the, you say the Brits were involved, the Secret Service. Was there any official British government, royal family, interest in the skull itself?
4: Oh, well, it's, there was. Uh, if, there was, at one time when you look at the, the list of the the uh, what do they call it? The the uh, the jewels.
0: The, the crown the jewels.
4: Jewels. I think the skull might have been on the list at one time. We <laughs> shouldn't say that, but yeah. Why not? Uh, well, it, uh, sometimes I I say too much. <laughs> I don't know what I. Well, what I is
0: should. it a matter of record, or is it from sources that you have talked it to? It was.
4: I've seen it on the. You know, I've seen the list. Yeah. So,
0: but. Uh, so then the question is, why would the royal family be interested? <clears throat> as part of the crown jewels of the crown in something found literally on, on the other side of the world, you know, in a, in a remote location that hadn't been inhabited for thousands of years.
4: Well, it's a, it's, uh, they consider it the largest gemstone in the world by some people, just because of what it is and the clarity and everything. So, uh you know I I I just know the side of it that I know so I'm not you know into all the the different politics and how this one works and that. I just have my job and and I'm the uh,
0: the, the guardian <laughs> that's what I do but hmm. uh you know uh when you know one of the things- Well the reason I'm asking these questions is because it seems yeah. to me if the if the skull is not a passive thing an object but in fact is a resonant piece of extraordinarily sophisticated uh, I'll say it ET type technology and it interacts with its audience with its handlers with the folks that it's around it makes itself known at higher levels than just what it looks like It, it to me it's very natural that it would wind up at the highest level of the British government being regarded as something
4: Really, really, really,
0: really special.
4: Yeah, well, uh, you know that the skull has a protection about it, and it does what it uh, feels it, it needs to do in a way it needs to do it. So that's why I find that I'm pretty much a guide along doing these different things because of that. So, so, there... so you're
0: saying this from personal experience of being around it, and I know before the show that we had a, a brief video because on on the show we only use audio but you're sitting there literally in the room next to it right
4: uh that's right yeah
0: hmm maybe i should turn over the questioning to it
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well you know what we can we can get your answers on it if you have a
0: question <laughs> interesting interesting okay so um he carries it around with why would he given that he was in places that, you know, if you look at the movie, you know, Indiana Jones had all kinds of folks after him. There were Nazis, there were bad guys, there was the black market. You know, this thing is a, is a jewel. It's stunningly visual. Look at the that banner picture. Look at that picture. Why would he endanger its security and even retaining possession by carrying it around with him unless... I'm gonna answer my own question. He had this connection at a higher level, and it basically said, "You don't want to be away from me."
4: Uh, that's that happens with me. I know, so I can't, uh, you
0: know, I can't say for sh- sure with him. Well, did did Anna ever his, talk about this relationship? Yeah, because it sounds to me like there were three in the family: him, her, and the skull.
4: Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, well, I I have it like that, where I know that feeling here for sure.
0: But you you guys never talked about that.
4: Uh, I see. Well, you know, we talked about uh, so many things, but uh, okay. I'm gonna
0: ask the skull. Have him have have Bill focus on Mm -hmm. what Anna told about the relationship between the three of you. Mm -hmm. Well, uh,
4: let's see it's it uh it would be the it you know it's not a thing on the surface it's a thing that goes deep inside and it's a feeling the feeling is a, a a very much almost physical there's a connection there between the skull anna and the skull and it's it uh it's a thing that you can't really put into words, and a lot of people that see the skull. Have that feeling it's more that uh, it's just you go in and live it and that's pretty much how I can say it uh, but uh, the, the skull is is here and it's giving out this universal love and that is it's it's a power that can be felt and it touches people in a really deep way and uh, that's what touched me so much is the connection where you feel that uh, it's almost uh, a connection to the divine through a an energy point. Because, well, the 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 um, the Mayas who live in Lubantun say it's a uh, communicator to the gods, and so as such, you know, it's it's there and it does its thing, and a lot of times you're being guided by it you're not really aware of it you just are just doing it you know so
0: well in the modern era in terms of radio we're on radio tonight so radio there are devices created called transceivers which is a gadget which is a radio which both transmits that's the trans part and receives that's the receiver part transceiver i have always felt from the time i got involved with the whole story of the skull for sci-fi uh, when Robin and I went to Central America and did a special on, on my, my research, I felt that the crystal skull, because of it, what it's made of, which is quartz, and it's an incredibly pure form of quartz, and in the next uh, uh, segment, we'll talk about the testing and the technology and all that for trying to figure out what it was made of and how it was created and all that, But but there was a very famous Russian, named Nikolai Kozarev back in the 1950s genius physicist astronomer physicist and he created a field of science investigated called torsion field physics which turns out ultimately to be hyperdimensional it's a it's a it's a transceiver uh, quartz in his experiments between dimensions so the idea that you have a template made in the image of homo sapiens life-size gorgeous meticulous in detail optically incredibly interesting because the way the eye sockets have been formed and the way light refracts and all that through them and that it has other properties that it can connect a human spirit or soul or consciousness with a higher dimensional reality and who's out there, to me is straight hyperdimensional physics. In other words, the skull is a transceiver, an HD transceiver. It was created by someone to act as this gateway, communications gateway between dimensions. The Mayans were correct insofar as they knew that anybody not here had to be a god. I suppose. But in fact, it seems to have multiplicity of uses and potentials and applications if it's properly guarded and used in the right way.
4: You're right on. Yes.
0: So um, probably what's going to happen is you'll be inspired to kind of frame a question and then provide an answer uh, from, from the character sitting next to you there, the skull.
4: Well, you know, uh, what's happening today, you know, they're taking these, these, all the knowledge of what we've done in all these years, they're putting them on disks and they're taking them to different planets. They're taking the different parts of the of the earth and they're putting them in the earth. And what it is, if there was this past civilization of high technology and they wanted to pass on that knowledge to the future generations, they would put it in something that was loved very much or feared
0: because that way it would be protected. It would be preserved and revered and, and, and guarded and guarded. Yeah. So you now now, all right, all right, hang on, hang on. Where did this idea come from that you just enunciated?
4: Uh, it's just the,
0: the, what I, uh, this, you said that, Ask the skull
4: <laughs> it tells, it tells well me. the
0: thing is important is because from to- we've never talked before I mean I haven't had the good fortune of crossing your path or you know vice versa. but tonight, obviously from our own research, remember I was attached to that sci-fi special, that was my analysis that the the skull was left as a transceiver by someone incredibly sophisticated civilization to connect humanity to a higher level source of information and trust and connectivity and it's that's why it was made as a beautiful piece of art a stunning piece of art and michael you, you took the perfect photograph the perfect picture um and we'll get to how michael photographed this when we bring him on shortly but in, in other words bill you and i independently we've never talked we both arrived at the same place in that the skull is not mundane. It's not trivial. I don't think it was carved by Mayans or anybody within 30 or 50,000 years of the Mayan civilization. I think it's a deliberate artifact as a communications device for consciousness from someone who was not here.
4: And I think it's light. Sound and frequency is what it's all about, and I feel that if you look inside, there's there's type of wavy lines inside that I feel that's where the the, the technology will come, where we can go in to the and bring the light patterns out of it, and uh, and be able to br- extract the knowledge at a level when we're ready for this,
0: and I think we're getting very close to the tech. <laughs> I think I think we are past ready. Okay, my guest this morning is Bill Holman, my prime guest, my first guest, and we'll be joined shortly by Michael Hill, who's had very interesting personal experiences with the Mitchell Hedges Crystal Skull. We're doing a kind of homage to David Crosby tonight. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return.
1: You've oh. been a, be a, be a be this is long, 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 And need appears to be love Appears to be long, long,
2: the Other Side of Midnight.com Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Support the broadcast and don't miss another groundbreaking conversation. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com.
0: This Saturday night. My guest this morning is Bill Holman, and we're talking about the uh, um, the Mitchell Hedges crystal skull and all the things that uh, uh, Bill and Anna Mitchell Hedges, who was the, uh, technically the adopted daughter of uh, the owner and adventurer who found it through his daughter's offices back in the uh, Oh, actually 1924, I think. Anyway, um we've got some people who are asking questions and, and what I will do is uh, uh Barbara Honegger, who is one of the uh uh regulars on, on this program, who has had very high level uh professional relationships in Washington at the White House under Reagan, et cetera, et cetera. Um she she has an interesting question. She says for me to ask you, um, why is the skull here and what or who or what is it? In other words, does it have a purpose and is its purpose to be fulfilled in our time? Okay.
4: Yeah. I, you know, I feel this is a very special time we're living in, a time of possible higher uh, consciousness expansion. And it goes back to what I believe is Atlantis and the people from Atlantis were giving the same chance to evolve fo- further, and it didn't quite work out. Well, we're at the same point of having the the opportunity now. The, there's always we are have the creative ability to to create anything in our world, and if you have your mind and you put it on peace and harmony and good stuff a very good thing I would think to create but if you put your mind on fear and all the things that go along with that you bring yourself and you create that even stronger in your life so it's so important to be able to to take your mind and put it in a zero point and then think forward of what you want so it's like we're in a in a a, a, they say good and evil but If we didn't have the negative, we wouldn't have the positive because we would, instead of trying to better ourselves to raise our consciousness or whatever, we would be sitting and watching TV and eating uh, uh, potato chips or something, and that would be how we'd spend the life. But when there's the action that pushes you to reach this higher consciousness, I think that's where we're at, and the skull is uh, here, and what it transmits it's a, uh, it transmits this very strong universal love, and, which is the power of creation and the most powerful force in the universe. And if we can come into that, is it, when I work with, one, with people, it goes into their, almost into their DNA or their soul, and it brings in that past knowledge and their abilities and gifts that a lot of times we've forgotten starts to come out. So I find that a real joy to be able to help people and change lives that way. Mm. So it, it's an important time and it's here as a gift to mankind at a time when the world needs help. Okay. I, I, I'm sorry.
0: I kind of mangled Barbara's question because she, okay. she's doing it through an intermediary. She isn't directly on, on Skype tonight. Um I'm supposed to ask you to ask the skull that question.
4: Okay. Well, you know what? I, I do uh, pretty much download the skull. And uh, a lot of the stuff that comes through is I'm just being a more or less a the trans, uh, transmitter for the, what's coming to me.
0: Do you and- have any formal process where you put yourself in tune to literally – channel or speak for whoever's on the other end of the phone using the skull as a kind of a, you know, communications medium, or is it just spontaneous and you can't really tell where your consciousness lets off? What it is, is that uh,
4: I feel it, uh, it surprises me uh, with what's coming through and what I say. Uh, but uh, so there's not like, Oh, and um, now I'm doing it. No, I'm not. I'm, not at that point, but I am uh, having it work through me stronger and stronger all the time in basically helping people open up to their true potential. Now, I work with my partner in this, and Catherine, uh, she's an author. She did the books, Romancing the Stone and Jewel the Nile. You guess I do like adventure. But she is
0: really good. Wait, wait, wait! She wrote the book on which those two movies were based. Yeah. Oh my God! They're my like two favorite movies.
4: They're my two favorite <laughs> too. <so. laughs>
0: Isn't
4: that crazy? But yeah. So. Uh,
0: but oh my gosh.
4: Yeah, she's really into. But uh, she's also wrote a number of books about angels, and she did this. Came back from a uh, being uh, dead for twenty some minutes. And the first thing he said to her is, you must write about angels. So she started mm-hmm. writing angels and experiences. But what, I, what I'm saying, though, is she's real good at uh, being able to communicate with the skull directly. So uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to open up this field, and I'm going to put you in it, if that's okay with you. Yeah, go ahead. And uh, –
0: live radio folks
4: there you go it's, it's I, yeah usually it's it works better on zoom but i i bet it'll work here let's see so just what it is is it just it's a very gentle energy there you go oh come on release it relax relax there you go
0: now what do i do
4: you don't have to do anything. Okay. I'm gonna see if anything that comes through for you. And I'm gonna ask you.
0: Okay.
7: Okay. Um. Oh. There's there. Is, I guess I need to come up. Well, I can't come over there because There's a there's an ET inside the skull. It's a an elongated skull, and it's staring right at me. And there's some kind of an ET connection that you have to a particular extraterrestrial um, very friendly. It's a very friendly one and is helping you to bring um, more information into there's another there's another one and it's helping you to bring information to the public and that's and it's all, all very very important what you're bringing in but yeah there's a there's somebody in there <laughs> now when well, yeah. wait,
0: hang on, hang on. Uh, Catherine when you say there's someone in there you mean it's using the skull to transmit from somewhere yeah. beyond it yeah yeah okay and
7: okay what he do, what he does for me is he shows me pictures of what he's trying to show me and then he tells me uh, you know, yes, that's that's what it, you know that I'm right, and then tells me who it is, you know who it is. He says it's an extraterrestrial.
0: Now, when you say it's an extraterrestrial, remember there are two types. There's well, it's
7: a it's a it's a, it's a good extraterrestrial, and it's from the Pleiades. It has a feeling of more. Uh, it's very intelligent, but it also has a very um, very nurturing um, persona.
4: And if hmm. something he asks, you'll get more help from him? Yes. So you need if to do that? His
7: connect, this, this, this entity wants to connect with Richard to give Richard more information, and all he has to do is ask. Hmm.
0: I must say, guys, I didn't expect this conversation would take this turn tonight. <laughs>
7: well, you and me both I was just making coffee.
0: <laughs> I'll have some. Cream, sugar, you know. Um, and By the way, you guys are staying around for the after party, right?
7: Absolutely.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Um, gosh, questions, questions. Okay. Um, from our own work, I know this is a crucial, pivotal time. Literally in the last 25 26,000 years, this time has not come around until now, and there's a lot of stuff going on to determine who's going to control it, who's going to imprint the future. Can we do to help the good guys take over from the bad guys who are trying to control everything that's going on right now?
4: Well, that. It's a matter of controlling your mind because you have to realize we are the creator. We are humans. Human is God-man. And as the creators here, that's our purpose is we've created everything, you know, and especially in the last so many years that the creations are coming faster and faster because the veil is getting thinner and thinner and it's making uh, what you think become real faster. So it's important. Yeah, you know, it's like the hundredth monkey is something that if you get the right number of people thinking uh, and putting their thoughts in the right way, it makes a big change and raises the consciousness of mankind, helping not only the people that, oh, you say the good people, but it's the we're all one. And that's what we kind of, we come in to understand the good and the bad are really one. And in coming with that, it raises the frequency, the constant uh, of all of us to this higher level. And we have the opportunity. The skull was asked how, you know, because the, there's a legend that there's 13 skulls, which there are. And they say, if the how would we, they say the legend is if you get the skulls together and you put them in the same room, then there's a chance for world peace to happen. Mm hmm. Says. It doesn't need to be that because the
0: skulls are multidimensional. Well, they all can talk to each other regardless of where they are. And
4: connect with each other at, when as they will, so, or how they're directed. But the thing is, we could have peace tomorrow if the right people would come together with the right thoughts and put peace out into the world. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men is a possibility. So it's, it's an interesting time because... It's pushing us to stand and become the full power of our true nature, the true nature being we've had all these things that have kept us from being the powerful beings that we are. You can't, we have, you know, when you're growing up, somebody says you can't do this, you can't do that. And these things stay with us, these blocks. But as we break away from that and come into our full power, as creator beings, we can use our hearts, our minds to create this world that is... Well, the
0: human race is so fragmented. And given what I know from my research, and obviously, you know, I think you're going to agree, it's not an accident. It's like someone has been trying very hard to keep us apart because they're desperately afraid of what happens if we unify, if we coalesce if we become the human family as opposed to a lot of different factions shooting at each other both metaphorically and and physically. So in whose interest is it to keep us fragmented and down on the farm?
4: Okay, it is what it is,
0: push to make you get up. If everything was
4: if there wasn't that no one would really ever change and oh we'd, you'd, you'd get up in the morning and everything's beautiful and you know what happens with the people be, that give the most to the worlds are the ones that have been stressed the most the ones that have a, get up and they have a good job and they everything works out family picket fence and everything well they go through their whole life and there's no real advancement on their inner consciousness and spiritual hmm. connections but the people that have it really, you now as we, with all the stuff that's happened, the, the negative that's happened in the world, it's making us be squeezed to either stay in the stands and watch the game or get in the field and play. And it's pushing us into the field and taking charge of using our, our mind, our third eye, our heart, create a world that is good for ourselves, our family, our friends, and our world. And that's kind of where we're at. It's a, a pivotal point, but <laughs> with the help of we're in this photon area of, of light. The light is increased now. And because of that, it's it's uh, it's making the transformation in so many lives. People that have never thought about anything more than a football game tomorrow are starting to connect with their inner oh, they're spirit. being
0: forced to pay attention to things that they've never, for a long, right. long, long time, wanted to pay attention to. Hey, I want to add uh, one of our Enterprise family to the conversation, Kinthea, who, of course, is our resident artist. She used to be producer of the show, and thank goodness she's gone back to art, and she's doing a bunch of other stuff. But she would like to ask you a couple of questions, or uh, she may actually have some reaction to what she's been listening to. Kinthea?
5: So thank you for this opportunity. Uh, Bill, as I understand what you're saying, and and I hope you will um, polish or uh, verify if I understood correctly what you're saying, that the skull, the message that you're getting is that as beings of consciousness, when we align with our core being our reality that there is only us, only one, then it's not about some other out there doing something that can affect us. That's why we can affect a change. It's not that we're resisting some shadow out there because we are one. And, and so it's not about some being out there trying to stop us from doing something. It's about us not giving that shadow reality. Is that what you're saying?
4: Well, uh, you're – Uh, You know, a lot of people are coming to that in small doses, but you're right on, on the whole of what's happening. Yes.
5: So then this leap in consciousness that we're making all together is moving from a reality in which there's polarities in the sense that we're resisting some other out there to embracing a reality in which there is only us. And so, that's why it's so important to um, be conscious how we are directing our attention. There's a wonderful—I'm sure you'll know, Richard. There's a wonderful Star Trek issue where uh, episode where they're on this planet and this this uh, mind-altering thing is manifesting their thoughts, and so. They're having to say, don't think fearful thoughts because that's what's coming towards you. You know, you start magnetizing to you. And it doesn't mean that those things aren't real, but they are coming to us because we're drawing it to us with our attention to it. And it's not about ignoring it. It's just about like you're looking at a world that's full of so many colors, so many directions, so many uh, diversities. And whatever you're putting your attention on, you're magnetizing that into your world. And if enough of us will hold that resonance of peace, then that's the energy field that the other, the shadow, the dark beings, the dark forces can't exist in.
4: You got it. Wow. That's there. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, so awesome, isn't it? It's, it, I mean, when you really, we're really living in a beautiful, exciting time. You know, everybody. Owns, we are. But it's, it's really, and the skull's message is to remember. That's one of the messages.
5: Mm-hmm. And
4: it's, it's pushing, besides universal love, it's pushing joy and peace and fun.
5: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. See, one of the
0: weirdnesses is we are living in an era where with a little gadget you hold in your hand, you have the access to the sum total of human knowledge not only what's accepted, but the stuff at the edges that isn't quite accepted yet. And so few people are using that to do anything beyond talk about themselves on social media or pass on rumors and pass on things that uh, come to them and from their separate bubbles, they're so isolated. It's not bringing people together, it's driving them apart And unless there's something that can make everyone go, oh, my God, focus on single individual events or entities or history or whatever, the fragmentation that we thought things like, you know, Twitter and Facebook and True Social and, you know, all of those, you know, alphabets, it's driving people into separate little enclaves to where they don't, they don't even begin to realize they need to talk to each other. They all split apart. So what's the antidote for division in an era which desperately needs unification?
4: Yeah, well, you know what it is? It's the one thing we have control of, and that's our minds, our hearts, our soul. We have control of it. We don't can't we're not controlling anybody else. But if you can be together with like minded people and put your mind on what your your goals are. What's you know, good food for your healthy food, good water, good schooling, all this stuff for the children. If you put your mind on the things that you do want in it, you can't sit there and say, Oh, I want everybody to follow me but you do it in yourself and you put that thought out and surround yourself as you do it with people of like minds that are there to help. And the whole thing will not even matter because everything you'll be on this timeline that you want, as opposed to a one of negativity. We, the things that happen in the world, we don't like it's a lot of it is comes from different fears that we've had in the past. And it, uh, we, oh this will happen then well, guess what it probably does well there's so- this
0: overriding fear which is being amplified on every level of the other. people yeah. who are not like you, people who have designs on you and yours at every level it 's the other is the enemy, the other is to be shunned, the other is to be excluded. Right. Where is the unity? in a in a culture in a global culture which is fragmenting into more and more others when we actually need to go in the opposite direction well it's, it's universal love is where the real key to this
4: whole thing and filling your heart with that is like a wave that goes out and it changes hard. so it's it's a very so uh, it's <clears throat> it, it's a matter of having fun about it find the things that make you Have fun in your life with all the stuff that's happening and put yourself in that thought and just let it come through. It's really, it's so powerful. And we have it. The skull, you know, it says it's a time to remember who and what we are. Here we are, these powerful beings. The skull says there's more than one type of entity living on the earth right now. They're the ones that have the soul spirit connection. Those are the creators, they create everything. Then there's the one that maybe they came from a, a different civilization in the past, from some place in the past or whatever, and they don't have that connection between soul and spirit. Without the connection between soul and spirit, the only way they get power is by taking it and try to pull it from those that do have the connection, and that's where a kind of a problem is. It
0: sounds almost parasitical.
4: Yeah. yeah, Well, it's, uh, you know, the people that have no feeling for anything, and they will latch on to somebody that has the connection and suck all the energy out of them. When they're done,
0: the person's (laughs) done,
4: and then they leave and find somebody else. So you have to learn. That's
0: a parasite. That's a vampire.
4: Yeah, you have to learn to, to be able to, have the overview to see what's happening and put the people in your life that are there to make your life better. You give to them, they give to you, and and then uh, then you have a balance there. But the ones that only can pull from you and, and you get in those uh, life situations, it's a learning thing that some of us learn and some of us learn hard. But you, it's important to – uh, not pick your friends. You
0: can't pick your family, but you can pick your friends. <laughs> Unless you your say, friends are part of your family.
4: You, well, it depends on if they're good friends or bad friends. See, this
0: is why, Catherine, I need to ask you, the, the ET entity, which is transmitting through the skull, uh-huh. is it is it human, human-related family, or is it truly alien?
7: It's... Uh... I think it's truly alien, but it's interesting as as Bill was talking, and explaining universal love, it had it this face changed to a very big smile with uh, open the eyes got more open, but it is alien, yeah.
0: Well, you know what
4: is alien? You know we're
7: yeah, right. we're all alien. Well,
0: when I say alien, I'm I'm talking strict scientific definitions. Family is genetically related. However, right. distant alien is truly alien genetics, alien DNA, alien origins, not connected to the human family.
4: Correct. Right. Yeah, I, I go by soul and we're more than our physical body. But yeah, I see that. You know, I know what you mean for sure. But yeah.
0: Okay. Can Thea, do you have anything you want to add or ask before we ha- take a break at the top of the hour? Then I want to bring Michael on.
5: Okay. Th- thanks for giving me the opportunity. So I just wanted to touch on one thought. You mentioned the Pleiadians. And my experience is that they're really very benevolent, but I've heard other viewpoints. Do you have, uh, and I've also heard that the Pleiadians were the ones that seeded us. Is there any information you're gathering on that layer?
4: Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll say something first, if I may, and I really like your question. Thank you. But, uh, you know, I, I feel the connection to that area strongly, not like, you know, like you come to, uh, you, you get dropped off in the middle of the United States, and you're in the middle of the a uh, uh, corn belt, and there's nothing around but corn, or you get dropped off in the middle of the city, and there's different parts of the city, some better than others, and uh, it's the same way. There's, you know, there's all kind of entities out there, uh, but the the ones that are the high spiritual frequency connected to these what you find to be divine forces are very uh, positive, benevolent, and with that connection, you know, they're not the the lower ones. Just like they're the ones that are are here to guide and help us in this uh, time of of high change
5: so so what I'm picking up is that there are multiple uh, extraterrestrial forces besides just the Pleiadians
4: yeah well you know we, we have this feeling that you know it wasn't long ago we thought we, the world was flat and then I guess some people think of that again, but uh, the whole thing is uh, we're just one little speck and they're finding billions more stars and things all over as they explore space that, uh, to think that. Okay,
0: we are at the top of the hour, guys. We will continue. My guest this morning is uh, Michael. Michael. Michael's obviously got a message for me. Michael is going to come on with Gangbusters, uh, we've had Kintia on the conversation. We'll be rejoined by Bill Holman and his very interesting wife, Catherine. I've got to talk to Catherine about some novels and whatever. Anyway, you're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. If you touch that dial now, you will never forgive yourself. We shall return. David Crosby to take us out. <laughs>
2: Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs, $9.95 a month, $0.33 a day. Listen while you travel, or as an environment for your endeavors. $0.08 an episode, $0.02 per hour of content. The other side of midnight.com.
0: And welcome back. The Witching Hour here in the land of enchantments in New Mexico, northern New Mexico, with very, very chilly temperatures outside. My guests this morning are Bill Holman and his uh, wife, Catherine. Kinthea has joined us. Michael Hill is going to join us momentarily. This is a homage tonight in our bumpers to David Crosby, who unfortunately has left this uh, terrestrial 3D realm and is now uh, exploring other dimensions. And I had that on very good, uh, very good evidence from, uh, from Robin. Anyway, this is a song called The Song With No Words from a 71 album called, very appropriately, If I Could Only Remember My Name. Okay, we've got about one hour left in this rather remarkable conversation. As I said, we've got certain players on the board. We're gonna add another one now. Michael Michael Hill has been on the show many times before. He is, among other things, an inventor a transducer in his own right, a filmologist, a musician par excellence, and he has communicated personally with the skull, through the skull, to somewhere else. Michael, where do you want to enter the conversation?
3: Well, first I do want, well, first of all, hello everybody. And sometimes I forget that I'm actually going to be part of this. I'm just in awe of the conversation. So it's nice to be a fly on the wall, so to speak. But um, (laughs) I guess, um, first of all, I want to apologize because I really did think all this time that Beverly was a NASA consulting biophysicist. Um, well, she so, is,
0: but she doesn't work for oh, NASA. It's just, it, look, oh, those folks oh, can get very stuck up so they have to be kind of squeaky clean at, at doing the proper paperwork. But no, oh. she has been an advisor. She's been a consultant. She's an independent researcher. She's been associated with several universities. shes I forget, she's some, head of some uh, hyperdimensional paranormal agency that escapes my memory. But she is one hell of a researcher. And when she yes, presented yeah. me with the bona fides of your invention, which I presume was in the parlance of tonight, kind of channeled, you were guided into doing this.
3: Absolutely.
0: Um, yeah. To me, it's top drawer. And then I've had personal experience for like a year with its effects. And I got to tell you, Michael, I've seen an awful lot of grifters and charlatans and crazy people and people who pretend and are just out for money, whatever you created, it works. And so we need to talk about, you know, we need to talk about how it works and get the word out. Because if you want to talk about where love begins, Bill, it begins with a healthy body in three dimensions. And this technology is literally a hyperdimensional gift to ill bodies.
3: Absolutely. Um, You know what? It's all connected to the crystal skull because, you know, I I brought Bill and the skull and some of the elders like Steve Golden, light Eagle, who is the spiritual leader and uh, chief of the Dakota. And he's been on ancient aliens many times. And he brought me into a star knowledge family, which is native American Indian elders who have got permission from spirit to release, uh, Thousands of years of contact with star beans. So what happened was I was bringing Chief Golden Light Eagle and some of the other elders, like um, a Navajo uh, seer, his name's Garrett Duncan, and we, I'm in the process of releasing to the world that there's un, an unknown ancient mound builder, um, earthwork in East Lake, Ohio, and it takes over a mile to walk around it. And some of those artifacts, because I've got a call from a guy from the Smithsonian saying, you know, we've seen that you are uh, releasing the home of the mound builders and the mound builders, according to native American elders, are the bloodline of the Atlanteans, you see. And the Atlanteans went to Maya to the Mayans and taught them, the calendar and pyramid building and whatnot. And then sooner or later, they left and they went to Crystal River, Florida. And interestingly, they just found a mine step pyramid at Crystal River, Florida. And this is just very recently within the last few couple of years. Well, one of the grandmothers showed me how the bloodline entered North America and entered becoming the mound builders who then later intertwined into the Native American Indian tribes. So this all fits into what happened was, well, Bill, you know, I guess we should say how we met and that is you started to become part of the Star Knowledge family.
4: Uh yes, uh, yes,
3: a great joy for sure. And a great honor. So yes, thank you. Well, God bless. Everything happens for a reason. So what had happened was I'm – this ties into disclosure, too, because everyone is waiting for the United States disclosure to come from our Congress. Look into Star Knowledge Canada, University of Ottawa. Type those words in. You're going to find a movement has already started in Canada, and we were part of a TV show that was filmed called Star Beans, which is all about Native American Indian contact with Star Beans for thousands of years. And it's also being taught now through the University of Ottawa, called the Star Knowledge Symposia, which I named, by the way. I'm proud of that. Actually, the, the head of this program was like, what do you think we should call this, Michael? And I was like, well, you met us at a Star Knowledge conference. And I was brought in as the official representative for the mound builders for the Star Knowledge family by Chief Golden Light Eagle. I'm Seneca of the Iroquois. So now we are all at this unknown earthwork that is massive and it's chock full of goodies. You can tell, ask Bill, you know, I took them to the East Lake Indian Museum that has some of the artifacts, the Smithsonian removed in the 1970s. And these artifacts has one of the first depictions of what us native American first nation people call the morning star. And um, we went to the museum, I showed them the artifact that has the Morning Star, and me and Chief Golden Light Eagle talked about um, the Morning Star, and this comes very important with the communication from the Mitchell Hedges Crystal Skull with myself and others now. So what happened was, while we were there doing ceremony, and it was specifically to this is the apocalypse. It's the revealing of what was once hidden. People think the apocalypse is like a doom and gloom thing. It's not. It's That's truly the meaning of it. So we're there, and a the phone rings, and it's the guy from – it's the head of the Canadian Public Corporation. And he's like, I don't think you really understand how big of a thing that you're involved in is. And um, he said that every school system Equinox, they're now bringing in uh, First Nation – people from all over the world. And he said all the museums in Canada, the government and everything is very interested. But um, I'm sure you know that the Pope just recently went to Canada and um, apologized for their crimes against humanity against us, uh, you know, Native American First Nation people. Well, that's caused a revolution in Canada. People don't know it right now, but it's causing so much interest in the star knowledge symposia that they can't even believe and it's going on so i just got a call from the head of the canadian public corporation He said michael who did um chief golden light eagle leave in charge of the star knowledge movement in america i said well actually it's me you know and we were all just a part of this tv series that's been created by reuben langdon and um it's called quest of the crystal skull and um during the filming of this chief told everyone that i had rented a airbnb so we could be all under the same roof and he told everyone there um, i'm going to be leaving the planet soon i'm going to be dropping my robes everyone was like oh no chief don't say that and he's like no you're not listening to me I will be leaving this planet and I've left Michael as my successor bring star knowledge into the world so all of a sudden this is just like three weeks ago the head of the canadian public corporation is putting me in contact with the university of ottawa but here's the deal go and type in university of ottawa and star knowledge it's being funded by the united states of america if you want truth and actual people that have been in contact with star beans you've got to go to canada right now and it's funded by the united states isn't that something? A real head scratcher there.
0: But uh, I am the... Well, official... not so much, because in politics, there's something called plausible deniability, where you want ah. an effect to occur, but you don't want to appear to be the ones behind it occurring. So you use an intermediary or a back door. And if there That's really brilliant. has been a major political decision that the truth is going to come out this would be one of the real-world political ways that you could facilitate without taking early responsibility for getting the truth out. So it makes perfect sense to me.
3: Ah, that's brilliant, Richard, Uh, as usual. (laughs) So what happened was that phone call was with the Mitchell Hedges crystal skull on top of this unknown mound builder site. Right? That is the Atlantean bloodline on this planet. And as you know, my blood has already been proven not to be normal human blood by a Harvard professor. I was on the show UFO Hunters on the History Channel. They flew me to Boston and had my blood work done by Harvard professor David Fistrom. That is because I, have, I am of the Anunnaki human hybrid bloodline on this planet that was known as the Nephilim. The Nephilim are who came out of Atlantis, intertwined into the Mayan culture, taught them. Now we're here and we're going to teach through the native American first nations. I am their official ambassador. It just is what it is. And I'm to, now I'm starting to organize to bring elders such as bill and the Mitchell Hedges Crystal Skull to these Star Knowledge Symposia events in Canada. That's happening in 2023. But here's what happened is when the first time I met the Mitchell Hedges Crystal Skull, we're in the Airbnb that I had got for us all to be under the same roof. And I sit down in front of the skull and I usually don't have quote unquote, inanimate object, objects like communicate with me, but <laughs> through telepathy, in my head, it says touch your forehead, your third eye to mine. And this was really awkward because... You're oh, the, not pineal to touch. the pineal gland. The pineal gland. Yes, exactly. And uh, you're not allowed to touch the skull. It's a priceless artifact. And if so I had to go to Bill. Hey, uh, Bill. um... <laughs> The skull just asked me to touch my forehead to it, and his response was shocking to me, and I'll never forget it. He said, yes, I know, and you have permission, but no, that's a very advanced initiation. So I'd like you to talk to Bill about that, too. What does that mean? Because it's communicated to me, and Bill, have, we've talked about it, but I did. I went third eye to third eye with it, and it was profound. It was it was the release of energy that brought me to tears. And I hear a lot of people have the exact same encounter that it's almost like there's two different kinds of tears, right? There's tears of pain, but there's also tears of the soul, like revelation. This, this feeling of love overcame me that just brought me and, uh, you know, my partner, we were just both in tears. And, um, but that was the end of it at that point, but I can't tell you. When,
0: when, when was this, what year?
3: 2020. Okay. Um, so, you know, this was all filmed for this TV series. It's 13 episodes, and it's called
0: uh, –
3: what is it, Bill? Quest of the Crystal Skull? Quest of the Crystal Skull, yeah.
0: And who's yeah, producing and, gonna... and what network will it be on? It's being
3: shopped right now, Bill, uh, correct? Yeah, they are. they're working on it, yeah. And it's by Ruben Langdon because this becomes very important. You know what the hyperdimensional physics that's been communicated to me, and we can get into that. But if I had to put it in a nutshell, it's that it's all about 432. And the 432 frequency is a hertz, is the A note, the middle A on a piano. And it has to be tuned properly to bring through extra photonic light energy from another dimension
0: is what, you know, this biophysicist Beverly Rubick has proven. So, uh, yeah, by the way, by the way, I'm glad you brought her up. Um, Item number six in Michael's items, and I'm really glad you were able to get this up there is Beverly, Dr. Rubick's exhaustive treatment and analysis of water exposed to Michael's uh, geometric technology, the so-called crystal discs, uh, which are imprinted in a way that restructures water, which is a very interesting fluid. Water is almost unique in it contain it can, it can contain memories and act yes. as its own transducer, meaning you know conductivity, connectivity between dimensions. And she measured the physical effects. Of exposing water to Michael's disc technology, and it, it's off scale. It's it's astonishing, real science results, and that companions with my personal experience, which is I've been now drinking you know, a lot of fluids, mostly coffee, exposed to your disc, Michael, and it's had incredibly positive effects. He has just uh, set in motion. Um, We're going to get, you know, the same technology in the form of coasters. You simply set your, you know, lemonade, Pepsi, whiskey, anything on the damn coaster. (laughs) Uh, Well, whiskey contains water. And the more you let it sit, the more the effect that Beverly measured grows. It's literally measurable. And so we're getting a set to Kinthea. And see you're part of the experiment now. In the next few months, you're going to talk about what happens to you by simply using it the way I have, which is to sit any fluid on this whenever it's not at my lips. Indeed. And Kinthea, uh, I'm going to be
3: giving you a whole 432 swag bag. So uh, look out. It's coming your way. Oh, lucky me. (laughs) (laughs) Here's what happens is there's a new science called cymatics, which is a new science of making the invisible visible. It makes frequency visible. And some people might know it started off with a big metal plate. You put sand on it, and you'd have a bow. And it was tuned to a specific frequency, and you could watch the fan dance and geometry would form. But the deal is it's not random that when you hit specific frequencies, specific geometry forms, but now it's evolved to, they use a big vat of water pump frequency through it and they have a high tech camera. So that's what I did is I hired the scientists to image my electric guitar, but it was tuned properly to that a equals 432 Hertz that the Anunnaki or the Pleiadians, by the way, that one half of the family is Pleiadian, of and that's my side of the family. Um, so I sent, their, my, sent them my guitar tuned properly, and they imaged it, and right away they, this, these scientists said we'd never seen this kind of complexity in dimensionality ever before, and they asked me for my permission to released the full 22nd video of the image being created in real time. But think about this, that, you know, what I'm using is a two dimensional photograph of the frequency captured by the scientific equipment. And it's absolutely gorgeous. You can see the image in the photographs. Um, the mojo is in the image, the energy. And it's, I think the first scientific evidence, first of all, of, uh, quantum entanglement because we can get into that part of this technology was chief golden light eagle telling me uh, how to do this ancient atlantean water blessing ceremony at the fountain of youth springs in florida to bring forth and quantumly entangle the attributes of absolute divine holy water that's never been introduced to human thought form because as Richard said it's listening man water <laughs> is memory so it's really important so I did the ceremony at Rainbow Springs by the way in Florida and um there's more to that but I know I you know but here's the deal using the same exact technology if you take four octaves below 432 hertz which is 27 hertz put it through a cymatic image, a perfect seven-pointed star is generated in the water. And it's holographic because every bit of it contains all of it, right? So you can get the same attribute of a cosmic harmonious frequency when it's imaged properly, and the two-dimensional image is a true, you know, every bit of it contains all of it. But what, so the seven-pointed star, right? Look at this bloodline. I'm talking about this ancient Atlantean bloodline that's now intertwined into the Native American Indians. Look at the Cherokee symbol for their tribe. It's a seven-pointed star. Go back to Babylon and look at the world map of Babylon uh, that sits in a museum right now. It's a seven-pointed star. So now I get a call from the Quest of the Crystal Skull um, producer, um, Reuben Langdon, and he is just super excited. What is like Lang,
0: well, Langan, the, the, the name is familiar. What else has he done? He was the guy
3: that brought uh, stop motion, uh, like the, the body capture technology for computers to Avatar. He's a stuntman and works in special effects, and he's ah. the one that brought that to the world. But not only that, he has Gaia's highest oh, I, think, I, I,
0: I think they call that motion capture, where they put little glowing ping-pong balls on the, Yes. Elbows and foreheads and knees and all yep. that. And then you can map that in the computer with live action into the digital scenery. Exactly. That's Ruben. And he actually was the stuntman
3: in the suit with the ping pong balls all over him <laughs> of the main character of Avatar. But afterwards he, uh, he got very interested in consciousness and consciousness studies. And he started filming because he's an unbelievable filmographer, producer, Um, And he has come out with Gaia's number one show called um, interview with extra dimensionals. Is that correct, Bill?
4: Uh, Interview with
3: Ed. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yes.
4: That's a new term. Ed.
0: Ed. Yeah. The the only Ed I know is a talking horse. (laughs) Right on. (laughs) So
3: Ruben contacts me because obviously we've talked and he knows about, in a nutshell, it would be what I've learned is the seven-pointed star because of its relationship to cosmic harmonious frequencies. And they're intertwined forever because it's just two different ways. of Well, expressing.
0: remember the seven symbology in human history is overwhelming. Seven cardinal sins, seven days of the week, seven days of May, and the seven symmetry spins of a tetrahedron in three dimensions, which is the key to the physics between 3D and higher dimensions.
3: Yes. So what happened was during the filming of this new show, Bill and the Mitchell Hedge's Crystal Skull, um, they were all in New York with a medicine woman, her name is Emily Ra, and during this filming, Ruben contacts me afterwards and he's all excited. He goes, "You ain't gonna believe what just happened." Cuz he knows my story and he knows you know about the seven-pointed star and the word morning star. Because the morning star is truly, people think it's Venus, but it's truly a metaphor for the first light of, the first ray of light into the darkness. In the processional cycle, if you looked at that as a timeline, it would sit right between the um, age of Pisces and the age of Aquarius. So at the end of this filming with Emily Ra, they asked her if she got a message from the Mitchell Edges crystal skull to give to humanity. And she said,
0: yes, it showed me a seven pointed star in the words morning star. Mm. Robert will love that. He's going to be a guest tomorrow night. Robert Morningstar. star. I've never wow. asked him where his name came from. Yeah. Mm. Well, I got to tell you that toasted my
3: noodles, Richard, because that's, you know what? I got this. If people want that, detail filled in both morning star mind you the first artifact ever that has the morning star from native americans is sitting in the east lake museum of what i call the hall of Rec- hall of records mound site and um it's the real deal um so i went to um Bill and said, what, is, what the hell is going on here, you know? Um, are we hitting the same source for information? And Bill said, no. He said, it, the, what Bill told me, and we can get into this, because I think it's fascinating, because you asked, what's it what here doing? He said, it's got all information of all time. It's got you, the Akashic Record, it's called, of all time of like past, present, and future of human parallel realities and it's the one that can take mankind into a galactic realm all the other 12 crystal skulls are all earthbound akash um which you know one part of the world will hold you know that one twelfth in that crystal skull and but the 13th which is the mitchell hedges crystal skull has all the information of the other 12 plus if it's brought out it can bring Mankind into becoming a galactic, peaceful society. Now, the Anunnaki told me a couple years ago when Trump was president that uh, mankind, if the point is for us to become a peaceful, galactic society, it wouldn't happen through any form of governance on this world. Um, It wouldn't happen through Trump. It wouldn't happen through Biden. It's not going to happen through uh, Putin. They said it's going to happen through a Native American Indian you know, first nation voice. I thought, well, good luck with that. Right. You know, mm. how the hell is that going to happen? well, now I see what's happening in Canada, by the way, you know, I, I invited you to the upcoming serpent mound event. Um, but, uh, I'm, they gave me the Canadian government gave me, permission to share the show star Beans, at the event coming up at the serpent mound. So I'm, I'm super excited about that. And, you know, I'm putting put in charge of the ambassador to bring forth, um, intertwine the American movement of star knowledge with the Canadian movement, which has already gone through the roof because of the Pope going there and bringing such a spotlight onto native American first nation culture. So, People are thirsty for some truth of why was this race exterminated or genocided. And what's interesting is uh, your listeners might know too, you know, this is all happening because they found thousands of children's bodies, their remains underneath these rehabilitation schools that were set up to make Native American Indian children into... Christians and quit being barbarians in quotes I'm being very sarcastic, yeah, but that that 's why the Pope went and apologized Well, all those systems were built and made from American systems, and the American number of genocides some people have it up to a hundred million it 's the worst genocide on this planet. so think of this: they genocided the Atlantean bloodline on this planet, but they they thought that they were going to bury us, but they didn't know we were what,
0: We're at the bottom of the hour. Hold it there. When we come yeah. back, I want to ask a very important question, Bill, about your, your campaign and what you decided to do with Anna's passing that's very different than what you might have done. You're on the other side of midnight, everyone out there. It's uh, late on a Saturday night, Sunday morning in the Land of Enchantment. This is our final homage, well, second to last, to David Crosby and his passing. We shall return.
2: other side of Midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Thought Radio at the cutting edge of science and thought on the other side of midnight.com.
0: Welcome back everyone One last half hour to go On this Saturday night, Sunday morning David Crosby passed over a few days ago And so tonight I thought we would do An appropriate celebration and homage To a genius whose music will live forever Okay, Bill, I want to ask you this question. Um, when Anna, I mean, she was up there. She was 100. She was a centenarian, which not a lot of people reach that incredible age, certainly in the current physics of planet Earth. What kind of conversations did you guys have before she transitioned and you took over guardianship of, of the skull?
4: Oh, you know what? There was a, a training thing, so I went through the training, passing down some of the secret teachings that were passed on to her, and giving me the uh, understanding of of that level of but what to do and how to take care of the skull and the purposes of it, and uh, that that was that was uh, a very changing thing but when i first got the skull you know i had that great love and connection with it but i didn't realize the deepness of the fact that it was uh, really uh, important that i do this work now and it was given to me as a uh, a, a my uh, responsibility and uh, a gift to mankind and taking that guardianship and being able to uh, make it available because it, uh, you know, it's like, oh, it's like the Lord of the Rings and you have it and you try to hide it. But the skull is something that is a gift to mankind and it affects and changes people. So my responsibility that I've learned is opening it up to the people that are drawn to it that have the need to uh, connect with it. Not everyone does. And you have, it uh, it's important that the ones that are, because I get people all the time that say, oh, they 30 years ago they saw it and they've always wanted to see it. And now they're coming to see it. And so it, it works like that. So or this lot-
0: this leads me into my second question, which is you had a decision to make back in 2007, when Anna, when Anna died, to either put it in a museum and like in Cairo, there's the British, the the Egyptian museum, which has all kinds of amazing artifacts from the whole pharaonic and pre-pharaonic period. And you file past cases and you look at things in mounted, you know, form with little labels and whatever. What gave you the idea and this is kind of a veiled way of asking: Was it the skull itself that basically said, "No, Bill, we're going on the road. This is going to be a road show, and you're going to be up close and personal with as yeah. many people as possible, because that's the way it's going to work."
4: Well, that that is pretty very close to what, what's happened. Uh, you know the, uh, the you know. Sammy was thinking about, you know, putting it in a museum too, but uh, then she, you know, like in the British museum, it's behind one inch of glass. And if you see the, the skull there, it used to be is very, very clear. And now it's all cloudy because it's in an area with no air and no, the skull needs uh, love too. And it needs people to be around it. And, uh, and so, she decided that you know it was the best thing to do is be able to open it up for people to see it now wait wait so when
0: you say she who is she
4: Anna I'm sorry oh or okay I, okay I call her Sammy you know sometimes I say Sammy and sometimes okay. I say Okay, all right
0: all right so before the, to, before she passed on she basically laid out a roadmap for you
4: uh, well she I carried out what she her her
0: vision of what needed to be done with it, yes, which she got from I presume the skull and whoever is on the other side of it
4: that that's
0: true, and that's
4: how you know i i uh listen to it, kind of gives me information guides me, and as long as I follow it, everything works really
3: good uh although so, bill yeah. can I intercede here? Does't this get into uh you know that whole idea that the skull has Knowledge locked away, and it searches out key holders that it won't, when it finds a certain keyholder, which involves that initiation of pineal gland to pineal gland, third eye to third eye, forehead to forehead, then when it knows it 's found a keyholder like cosmic harmonious frequencies let 's say, then it knows it can go and create the hyperdimensional I call them event strings, so this information gets out to the world which it is, you know what i mean? Um can you get into that aspect of it that well, because it that wouldn't happen if it was behind Oh, the, Michael, yeah.
0: I'm so glad you opened this cuz this leads up to another question which is Bill, do you find that if if you're introducing it in person in seminars in in uh you know round table sessions in in settings where people can get up close and personal, does it trigger in certain people things that they never would have imagined they would be doing or thinking or acting on unless they had that one-on-one connection like Michael did.
4: Yeah. Well, uh you never know. And that's the exciting thing. Because let's say I have a thousand people and I work with a thousand people. It's not like one person gets it all. It's everyone is different. And so, yeah, I find that so um, uh, interesting, and the fact is, you know, uh, somebody comes in, and, and you don't know what's going to come out until they sit with the skull, and it connects with their, with something inside of them, and, and then to see the changes and stuff. It's really, it's my joy, you know, if you can find something in your life that, helps people, makes them happy, and makes them better people. If you have that, uh, you find that in yourself to be able to do that. It's such a, it's a blessing and a joy. That's like, what's your purpose in life? Your purpose in life is just learning to be who and what you are and bring out your gifts and your abilities. So in doing this and working with people, I have the opportunity to make differences in people's lives. And it's it's really exciting, and I found now with this COVID thing, I've been forced to go and use Zoom Rooms, uh, you know, sometimes, and I do that with meditation because the skull has a 90 degree tur- uh, turn in it. it, has lenses and prisms that are built inside the, crystal, which would make it, you know, how could they build it inside the crystal? Because it would take like zero gravity to be able to form perfect uh, shapes and pyramids or not uh, prisms inside the, the crystal. And it has those. And so that's what
0: made, that's another thing that makes it so unique. I want to come back to the audience connection thing, but uh, talk a little bit about the the scientific tests that were done, particularly back, I think in the seventies at uh, Hewlett Packard, uh, who spearheaded them, what their consensus was, what they wrote down what the report said et cetera right well
4: hewlett packer at the time where the had the top scientists in the world dealing with crystal so it was a perfect place to take the skull and it was at a time that there was no uh people trying to uh put it down and not allow the truth to come out or wanted to change it so uh because it does not fit uh into what we know is the world today, and fit the seven thousand years that we're supposed to have only lived here. Mm-hmm. To do that, there's they have that different. We're, we're you know, and it's in private hands. There's a lot of they spend a lot of money trying to dis uh, information on it, but uh, where it really comes down to it, uh, it's made uh, against the grain with no really. Uh, care for which way it was made which is impossible because crystal being very hard but very brittle would not be here by not following the the structure of crystal and trying to carve it it has the the lenses and prisms that are built inside of it even several ones that they found when they tested it that there's like a secret areas where there are prisms in it that's why when you shine a light upon it uh, we did that before, and we found that it put on the wall through the skull, uh eight different groups of ETs that are known today hmm. showed up on. That was quite interesting.
0: So, uh, uh, it have you photographed different. that? Do you have a video? Do you have? We have video of that. Yes, we do. Posted by the way, we haven't. Uh, Michael and Bill put all kinds of effort into posting things tonight, and the conversation has been so in, you know enrapturing. I haven't really called attention to their sections. Some of them are self-explanatory. Some of them are not. Uh, Bill, you want to talk about the items you have? I think four I think four items in your section, I so, think. Yeah,
4: uh, let's see. You know, uh, the, the skull has three different things. Three, it. three items. Okay, three. Okay. Yeah, what it does is it works one-on-one, like I was telling you, with people. It also works on energy uh, grid lines on the earth. A lot of them that have been blocked over centuries and I've been drawn to take it to certain places and it rebalances. Oh, it acts like a key, like an opener. Yeah. What had happened and how I learned about this in, in 2008, I was invited to go to uh, Australia and when I got there, The the Aborigines were saying four years before that I was coming before nobody even knew about it, (laughs) and they were waiting. And so they took me to this one spot. It was a caldera, ancient uh, volcano, and they said they call them sun lines that had been blocked for hundreds and hundreds of years that went from that spot through the earth and the sea all the way to Machu Picchu. And they wanted to undo the, un- oh. so we put it there and the, and the two Aborigines did a, a, a ceremony with it. And about 15, 20 minutes later, they
0: stopped and then they thanked me and I picked up the skull and put it away. And- so it's not the skull, it's a transducer. Whoever's on the other side, whatever dimension, using the skull as a focal point was able to reach through, rearrange the energies and fix what had been blocked or broken
4: and that well that's how I learned about it so that's why I've been on this quest and have gone to very many of these space special places one of the ones that I found quite interesting is the Montana megaliths i don't know if you know anything about it but these ancient this ancient site that you know 50 000 to 100,000 years ago these ancient stone stone structures and uh I think I sent one of the pictures from one of the megaliths, this uh, stone bird, and it, you know they—it was just left there for all these years, and uh, hopefully, it's uh, people don't uh, are very careful with it because how old it is. But uh, that's a very special place, and the skull was really drawn there, and uh, connecting with the energy, especially with the. The underworld there—that was so uh, uh, higher dimensional and very powerful in what they, they, they—the they, knowledge that they had—and it was working on uh, downloading a lot of that stuff. Was quite interesting for sure. Uh, did you ever hear of the Men, uh, the, the megaliths there in Montana?
0: It's something in the back of my mind recently, like in the last few months or something. I've seen something uh on google to the internet people send me so much stuff and you know i, I don't have time to catalog everything uh, uh, it's quite
4: interesting if you have a chance to
0: you know look at it a little yeah, bit. Keith morgan might be able to trace this down because we're re- really focused on utah have you ever been to utah to the ordinary monuments there in in uh in utah let's
4: see i've been through utah but we really didn't do
0: too much oh, I think you. I should connect you with John Womack because he's working on an ancient set of doorways and dimensional portals that seem to be focused in that valley in Utah. Uh,
4: uh, like where I want to be. So yeah, I would like that a lot.
0: <laughs> I will. I will put you guys in touch. It sounds to me like it's a. It's it's long overdue. Okay, let me go back to the test. So Hewlett Packard, oh. which was the. Preeminent crystal folks in technology in the 70s, and certainly the United States, they took on this task. Um, wasn't it a guy named? Oh, what was the what was the scientist who kind of spearheaded this at the at that time?
4: Uh, you know what, my mind.
0: Yeah, I know the feeling. Yeah,
4: it, it must be late or something. Yeah. no, I can't remember. But he is. Yeah, he is. Was the lead scientist for the project? It was. Well, it was Frank Dorland. Uh-huh. Uh, had the skull at the time He was the art creator and he had the skull and he had the black version of Kazam this ancient icon that Mitchell Hedges wanted to go back to the Russian people communism fell so it was a icon that uh, it was sold by the, uh, the Russians at the time of the, the revolution to finance the revolution and it went down to, to Africa and, Mitchell has just to get his money out of Africa after war. He had he bought the, the icon, but uh, so it was out there with it. A thousand gemstones sold into a sold into a gold treeso. Hmm. The half gold and the icon together. That was what a powerful thing that was. So, and uh, but
0: uh, uh, I would they, love to measure the lowest point of the time time bath start would show to tile to install think about the field have you uh, have you and michael have you looked math. at the in terms of your research the 432 yeah
3: that's a fascinating thing because just recently one of the photos was you know bill has my technology and um so he put my 432 disc right in right in front of the Mitchell Hedges crystal skull. And what I just learned from him, what he's seen in the skull is pretty freaking fascinating. Um, yeah. That's so item number one it. in
0: your section, Michael, that photo.
3: Yeah. Um, But I want to say with Keeler Packard, isn't it true that they couldn't find any tool marks? I mean, that's, there was so- a, well, yeah,
4: you know, the, the, here's the skull. It's, it's made against the grain. It has lenses and prisms built into it. That would take, can you, build a crystal with precise lenses and prisms inside of it today
0: well the only way i can think it could have been done would be in zero gravity
4: zero gravity,
0: literally uh, atom by atom by atom grown with a template uh and for a super civilization it's trivial for anything we can imagine it's impossible but again as i say when we come up against et technology like what's waiting for us on the moon is everybody expecting just Kmart <clears throat>
4: right well you know it's made uh, it has the silicon in it but it also has it has the element 77 which is iridium and uh it, that makes it uh very unusual and it's also i guess that's with the piezoelectric
0: properties
4: that right. it has
0: so, okay, I think we may have a question. Is this okay. from Don in area eight one eight? Let me let me turn something on here, and we will see. Don, you are on the air. Yeah,
8: that's okay. That's me. I have a question for Bill. Um, do you know the name Gudikunz
0: in Can relation to the skull?
8: Again, Gukamatz. Eduardo Gudikunz. I can spell it, <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, well, tell me about it tell me about it. okay, well, I met this guy in Sausalito in eighty four he had something to do with the skull, and then, like a year or two later, I ran into his son by chance and worked with him for a while, and his son would never tell me the connection, so I thought maybe you might know him,
4: yeah uh at eighty four it was the uh, skull was with Anna more than me and I wasn't there all the time so uh, I'll think about it but uh, yeah I, I'm not really sure no do you have okay. anything thing else was, uh, that you might
8: know about it tell that Richard should... tell Richard huh? those markers are called retro reflective tape they're made by GM they don't glow they're reflecting light from strobes
0: <laughs> okay well they're there also uh, 3M did them yeah, 3M makes it. They're yeah. just
8: little strips of tape that are placed on red, the ball. I did motion capture for 10 years.
0: Retro-reflective,
4: you know. Yeah. Okay,
3: that's it. Okay. Thanks. Okay. Well, Thank i you, help you, but nice talking to you. You too. I, know, I want to say <laughs> something. Uh, prisms inside the skull. You know, as you know, when I went third eye to third eye with it, I decided to open my eyes. And what I've seen, no words can even oh describe darn, it. come on, it, Michael,
0: describe what you saw <laughs> a world of uh
3: crystalline rainbows <laughs>
0: okay. uh it was
3: like being in Superman's Crystal Castle or whatever that was it was uh it almost like I was the in fortress a fortress
0: the fortress of solitude,
3: of... yes, yes, I was taken right into the fortress of solitude, and it was so beautiful. That it almost like snapped me out of the state of meditation I was in. See, that's what
0: the domes on the moon looked like and what Alan Bean painted. Mm -hmm. And we're having this debate among ourselves. Did he ever consciously realize what he was seeing or was it all through his subconscious or through his Mm -hmm. third eye? Right on. Well, I want to share one
3: thing because it's very related to all of this is, you know, when the Star Knowledge family in Chief Golden Light Eagle gave me my spiritual Native American Indian name, it was Rainbow Warrior Eagle. But they also gave me a crystal, looks like a dagger. But they said this has been in their keep for a very long time and it symbolized St. Michael's sort of truth. And it has the serpent mound going down the shaft and it has, um, Inky from the Sumerian, all of the eclipse moon symbol. Like anytime you see Inky back in Sumer in the, the depictions, he's got a, uh, eclipse moon symbol over his shoulder. Well, he said that it's been in their keep very long time and, That it was being returned to me. And they said this was made at the same time as the Mitchell Hedges crystal skull in the same technology, which he said was sound. And um, I know it sounds crazy, but I have this thing. But here's the weird thing is Catherine and Bill just offered to do a private session with me over Zoom. And during this, the whole message that came through was the skull decided to tell me about how to use the sword and what it truly is. And Catherine couldn't even known that I was gifted that sword back.
0: Isn't that something? Oh my, 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 which leads me directly. Uh Thank you, Michael into my next Uh question for Bill, Bill, what do you got on the, on the immediate uh, uh, road trip? Are you doing big conferences? Are you doing one-on-ones? How can people, you know, get a, a special session with the skull if they have to identify why they're here and what they're supposed to really be doing as opposed to working in uh, Kmart, that kind of thing?
4: Okay, well, let's see. Yeah, uh, you know, we're going to be at uh, the Serpent Mound on the Equinox because I like to do something at a special place on the Equinox and also on the Solstice. So that's where I'll be on the Equinox. But then uh, I think it's June, I'm going to be at Contact in the Desert out in uh california joshua
0: At,
3: tree Joshua
0: tree yeah know by the way it, know it well all,
3: the name of that event is the serpent mound peach summit for anyone
0: that wants to come and they can meet you in per, per you where know can, where can where can people find more information have you posted yep. it in your yeah section? i
4: think yeah there's uh something uh, there's there's things on the internet if you just well yeah on the website we have a website if you go to mitchell hedges without the hyphen there's a lot, a lot of, there's just, it's a nice little thing, and it's got a nice couple little. Okay,
0: little we have a link uh, in your bio, uh, crystalskulls.com slash bill hyphen Holman. Uh,
4: uh, no.
0: No, nope, that's not have... there, but no. All right, I'll tell you what, after the show, send Keith the yeah, okay. other link, and we'll post the links, and the same with you, Michael, okay?
4: Hey, would you like, could I tell it? Would you like to hear about the uh, tool marks on the skull?
0: Yeah, by all means. we got four minutes.
4: Okay. I, what it is, is, uh,
0: you know, back when uh, Indiana Jones
4: was coming out, uh, there was a, a big movement to try to get the skull and try to find out, you know, try to dis- discredit it. So uh, one of the things was after Anna passed, she didn't want it to be tested, but I took it to the Smithsonian, and the first time I took it there, They looked at it and they used uh, Reservil, which is a dental implant. They put it on the skull in different places and they took it off and put it under under the uh, high-powered microscopes and no, we couldn't find anything. But then they said, oh, there's tool marks all over it. So I left with that. And the next time they called me back about a few months later and they did the same thing all over again, oh, we see tool marks all over the place. And so I left. And then uh, I was about a, uh probably uh, six months later. They want me back, so I came back and I said, "Why do you keep being coming? Bring me back if you see tool marks." Well, he said, "Well, we haven't seen them yet, but we will find them today." What? And, yeah. <laughs> oh, so, and then so that's they, correct. Yeah, and then they started <laughs> testing it, and we did it this time for a, it was for a, a show, so we had the the cameras going. And I had. I brought my own video camera and I videotaped everything.
0: Good, good. We we're
4: doing it. And uh, so the first time they, they tested it all morning long and they couldn't find anything. And they then we did one more. And when they did it on the, by the jaw, they took it off and it ripped in two. And they said, well, go to lunch and we'll fix it. And uh, then uh, we'll see if we can fix it. And if we can, we'll fix it and come back after lunch. So we got back and they said, oh. Uh, We got it all fixed. It's all perfect on this, and they showed it, and, oh, there was some tool. It looked like modern tool marks on it, and so that's where they got their modern tool marks, but uh, since I had the video of it and I knew exactly where it was tested, I didn't really worry about it for several years, but, you know, this thing starts to eat on me when they, they say stuff like this, so I finally took it to the university around here and had it retested at that spot and pictures and videos of it, there are
3: no tool marks on it. Mm-hmm. And Schuler so, oh, Packer didn't find any either.
4: Correct? And you know, Matt Matt Packer, they were the experts and they didn't sit there with uh
0: dental imprints to try to find tool
4: marks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: I would <laughs> have, have thought they would have used lasers and Shrillian photography and, you know, uh, polarizers okay. and something more sophisticated than dental floss, come on.
4: So, so dental, uh, yeah. Impression material. yeah,
0: it was what they used, yeah.
4: Well, you know what, uh, the, the archaeology department has no knowledge of the gemology, you know, yeah. and so they're trying to do tests. Hey,
0: guys. Thing.
3: They're not experts.
0: Guys, we yeah. have run out of runway. Oh, okay. I want to thank my guest this morning, Bill Holman. we got to have you back, Bill. And Catherine, I really need to talk to you. Michael Hill, uh, our special drop-in guest, Kinsia, who has many talents, and consciousness is major one of them. Until tomorrow night, same time, same bat channel. Remember, we're talking about what can happen in 2023 of things to come. Until tomorrow night. Remember, third star on the left, straight on till morning. Good night, everyone.